Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we get started, want to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. Remember, the more followers we get, the more we can give back to the goalkeeping community. Let's all keep paying that knowledge forward and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Magid, live from Hollywood, California. With me, uh, with a little bit of a sore throat, is 99 World Cup winner, Suskia Weber. Suskia, did you, uh, did you have a good weekend uh, in the 120 Appar- Apparently, I had a good weekend in Bob's ranks. <laughs> Too good of a weekend. I don't have a voice. And it was like four of us, so that should tell you that. No, that's true. How hot did it actually get there? 120. 120 degrees. Wow. That is a... But it's a dry heat. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it hurts. It's still hot. Exactly. Thank you, Bella. Like, oh. the, the pool was amazing, and then towards the middle of the day, it just kind of started feeling like, you know, a jacuzzi. You know where it doesn't get 120 degrees? The Pacific Northwest. I don't think and, it does. <laughs> yes. And that, and that is a segue into our guest today, guys. Uh, you might remember her from her breakout performances in the NWSL Challenge Cup this year. Portland Thorns goalkeeper Bella Bigsby is joining us today. What is up, Bella? How are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Good. You guys are, you guys are back, right? Yeah, we're all back. I mean, so we're all back, but kind of trickling into market right now. Yeah. How's the uh, how, how's the how's the health going? How's it uh, how's recovering? Uh, about three and a half weeks post op. Um, you know, kind of turned a corner. First week's rough. I had no idea what I was in in for. Um, but yeah, kind of turned that corner, and I've started rehab, and you know, just baby steps here and there. A lot to go, but it's part of the process. Yeah, I will tell you, take it slow. Yeah, and I know I know how hard that is from like our mentality and everything, but, um, slow and steady, you know, don't force it and come back hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think we're all kind of medical, medical staff wise all on the same page is that there's really no reason to rush this and just do it right and get it strong. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, you've got an, I mean, you've got such a future ahead of you. Like there's like no reason to rush anything whatsoever. Like we want to see you playing for years and years and years and years Absolutely. and years to come. Yeah. Keep I, that longevity I, in mind. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, my gosh, I mean, like, it's like even, even like didn't, didn't Nadine, like, uh, didn't she dress, uh, during the tournament and, uh, she was, uh, she was ready to hop, hop in if, 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 if called for. I don't yeah. think we had a choice. We were, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> She was, yeah, she was ready to go. I think I uh, I had left by then. I was in Portland, um, but yep, there she was. She was on the on the roster. That's 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 fabulous. So, so unfortunately, Saskia can't can't uh, can't do that for UCLA. She can't just uh, hop in there, put on the gloves. No? I think that might be an NCAA <laughs> restriction, right? Yeah, there. I know, just a little bit. I think my eligibility was up twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure. Well, <laughs> so. well, speaking of eligibility, uh, Bella, a lot of people, you know, in who you know who are insiders, you know, who are fans right here, you know, might not be familiar with you. Obviously, you kind of kind of broke onto the scene during the Challenge Cup. A lot of people weren't familiar with your game. Um, obviously, you know, you played at Oregon State, and then over you went over overseas. And this is something that Saskia had really stressed to a lot of people is to kind of 
expand their opportunities and look at other playing opportunities and other training opportunities. Um, so kind of, why don't you tell us a little bit about your time um, at, at Frankfurt? Obviously now it's Eintracht Frankfurt, but at the time FSC Frankfurt and, uh, and what you kind of learned there. Yeah. Um, so I've obviously had two different opportunities playing overseas. Both kind of happened last minute, it felt like. Um, FFC, my opportunity at FFC happened very last minute within finding out about the opportunity and then getting on a flight um, was about six days. Um, but it was, it was great. Obviously, um, you know, that was after my, the year that I was drafted, I wouldn't, I didn't sign. So it wasn't my rookie year technically, but had been training with the team all year. And, um, as you said, I played at Oregon state and then I grew up in, in Oregon and, uh, hadn't really left much. Um, so it was a really good opportunity for me to really grow in that aspect outside of soccer. And then obviously playing on a team, um, with different tactics and, um, different players is always good for athletes to grow. And I felt like I grew a lot. Um, unfortunately got injured and had to come back early. I was also getting married. So I was coming back early anyway, but, um, had kind of an unlucky injury while I was there and, and decided it was the best to come back. But I felt like I need a lot of good, um, a lot of good growth there um, on and off the field. And, um, yeah, I would recommend anyone to, if, if, if they're playing professionally coming out of college to try to um, broaden those horizons and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. And like I've, I've, I've been an advocate of that, you know, um, yeah. it's learning other styles, learning other systems, playing with players that you might not ever see or, uh, and against players that if you'd only see if you were on the national team. Um, and so it's, it just grows your game period. I, mean, I, I want to ask this to you, Bella. Um, how has your German gotten since, since your time there? Like, do you ever speak <laughs> German with Nadine, for instance? Um, I understand very little of what she says. Sometimes I'll throw out like one word sentences is kind of where, yeah, one word sentences is kind of what I'm, I'm limited to. And they're usually only scope of soccer. <laughs> I understand, understand like flunk and just crosses left and right counting. Um, yeah. and certain other words, but like other, such a short amount of time. Um, it was fun. Because when, when we do film review, she's yeah. got all of our folders on her, on her, on her desktop, on her laptop, and it's all in German. And I was trying, uh, trying to figure out what they say, because she's got her feedback. She doesn't want us to know what it says in so, see it. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's almost kind you know of like, what, you know like reading code. Yeah, but you know what I'll yeah. tell you what's funny is like for me in Japan, it taught me even better to, my direction was so precise and short and to the point because I only knew certain words. So it was like, right, push your right, push your left, clear, this, that, and the other. So there wasn't a lot of like random talk in between. Not that I was a random talker. I am now, but I'm not that I was then. And um, it was, it kept it short, sweet, to the point. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine you being the quiet type on the field whatsoever. I can't in see Japan, that happening. I didn't. I, I spoke English. It's like backwards, <laughs> you know, English. It's it was, it was a debacle, but I did fine. I was there for three years. But yeah, German, forget it. Bella was hard <laughs> language. It's a little, but it's a little more intense. <laughs> like in, in in Japan, I'd be like, "Thank you, clear the ball," like bowing. Like in German, it's like I'm sure it's like pretty more direct and hardcore a little more blunt to the point yeah <laughs> you can imagine oh, yeah well, you there I'm with dutch it's a little softer but <laughs> yeah 
Ella, were you there with Bree? I was. Okay. Yeah. So how, what was that experience like, having another American there? That, I, I would think that that would be at least a least. We would go to get um, falafel like once a week. We had a kind of little American girl dates um, where we'd go just hang out and um, go into the city a little bit. And uh, no, it was great because um, anytime you're on a new team internationally, there's always the um, complication of maybe a language barrier or um, you know, just subtle differences in technique or um, agendas and training. So to have a fellow goalkeeper who's American, super helpful, especially just for the first time me stepping outside my comfort zone that way. I felt like um, she, f it was, it was really nice having her um, as a training companion. Um, she's competitive. So we pushed each other and I thought it was really great to, to train with her. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, you don't understand those little American dates girl dates are this imperative yeah i mean like it was my thing. i felt like I, I look back on my in germany and i know it was only it'll be three years ago this or two years ago this um this winter but i felt like it was a different world in terms of my mindset and where i was at mentally and as a player yeah. um so to have that kind of outlet yeah. <laughs> was um great yeah, because we used to, it was me, Tammy Pierman, you guys are too, you're too young to know these people. Me, Tammy Pierman, um, Kim Smith and stuff. And then we had Tiffany Melbert was there, Shannon McMillan and stuff like that. But we would meet, because I was close enough, we would meet on the weekends after games in Tokyo. And just like it, in the Rampongi, which is the um, American district. Yeah. And we would all meet and see everybody and hang out and just like have that touch with home. And yeah, I mean, um, it was important. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, I lived, I lived alone. Um, so having that was, I don't know, I, I, it helps me balance out the new yeah. with some comfortability. Yeah. And it must have been nice to have some Americans around because like when I went overseas, I was the only American uh, in the in the academy that I joined and they were all like, why are you here? They're like, they're like, <laughs> I mean, it was a little oh, bit of American. a different situation. A little bit is, of a different situation. Is this Venezuela we're talking about? Yeah, this is Venezuela. So things were a little <laughs> bit different economically, uh, sociopolitically and everything like that. So they were like, yeah, they're like, we kind of want to come there. Like, how do you do that? Why, why are you here? What is this, what is this all about? For you? <laughs> like, I came for the food. The food is amazing. Um, speaking about, uh, this is the worst segue ever in the history of the world, but let's see if I can make this happen here. Um, speaking big bucks. of... Speaking of translation, speaking of translation, oh, I just got a really? text message from Saskia. Speaking of translation, we're going to go into today's topic, okay? And that I told is. Him to stop scratching his face. Do I have? I do have. I know no, I have these scars. But you keep scratching going. your face. Is that where it's coming from? Yeah, stop scratching. Oh my! Oh my gosh, Bella, can you see it? Are there scratches? Where are the scratches? I think it, it looks like a cat you. attack. Stop! Me? Just go. Do All your right. transition. All right, here's our transition. We're gonna, this edit's going to be amazing. Um, speaking of translations, we're going to be talking about today's topic, which is recognizing triggers, which is kind of like translating what the other players are doing and anticipating their movements. Um, for some of the parents out there and maybe, you know, some of the younger goalkeeper coaches who might not be familiar with what we're talking about, uh, Bella, kind of in your words, what is a trigger? A trigger is information, um, and you do with, what, with that information what you've been trained to do. Um, so, you know, every goalkeeper may react to a trigger a little bit differently, but I think when it comes down to it, a trigger is something that prompts you to act in a game. 
Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think you you've really succinctly made that right there. And I think one of the problems that I think happens a lot of times with with younger goalkeepers is they try to read too much into a situation rather than just look kind of for the simple. Um, Saskia, I know that's something that you talk about consistently. Is like you know, just keep it focused, keep it simple. Don't try to overanalyze what's going on in front of you. Yeah, and don't try to assume. You know how I hate that. You know, don't try to be ahead of the play. Um, you can read the situation and understand the game that's going on in front of you and what what the most the the most the right play for for anybody coming at you would be to but that's it's not it's a gray area you never know so you have to be able to react you have to be able to be in the right position but then kind of it's a quick decision you have to be cognizant enough to make that choice really quick when the situation that you're assuming in front of you which you know or reading in front of you, I should say, not assuming, um, changes. And that trigger um, makes you have to make another really quick choice on the fly. I'm really glad that we brought up quick because that's, that's something that's so, so, so <clears throat> integral is how quick you have to make these decisions and how, how quickly you have to read this stuff, Bella. And, and honestly, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on for this topic is because you are so good and, and we're going to break down some of your plays that, that are just big time from the, from the cup uh, in this episode today. And she's like, oh, gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. Um, <laughs> but you recognize these movements, these slight little movements so quickly, and you make a good decision based on it. So, so can you kind of like kind of basically kind of reemphasize how important it is that you just like you identify it quickly and then you make the decision as opposed to kind of waffling? Yeah, I think um... – Every goalkeeper at some point in their career gets caught anticipating or trying to assume um, what's going to happen next. And that's, you don't want that to happen, obviously. Um, you might get lucky and go the right way or um, you may. One time out of 10. One time out of 10. And it's going to reinforce that you should be guessing. Um, <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, reading triggers is useless if you're not, it's, if, if what comes next isn't correct. Um, so, I think keeping it simple is really a key for reading triggers. Um, not getting overwhelmed by the, the massive information in front of you, um, because there's obviously a lot going on during something like a counterattack or a quick slip pass or things like that. So not getting overwhelmed, but um, certainly at, at, at Portland, we have a culture within our goalkeepers um, to just keep things simple. Mm -hmm. um, we actually worked on kind of a, sort of like flow chart at the beginning of the season in terms of like presented with a trigger. Um, how do you make your decisions for what's next? Because there's obviously technical executions based on a trigger or tactical, mm -hmm. your set position and coming out versus staying, what kind of goalkeeper you are. Um, so I think also just learning what kind of style you have as a, as a goalkeeper because, um, you know, me and another goalkeeper are going to have maybe two different reactions to a trigger in terms of dropping maybe on our line or coming out to collect a 1v1. Depends on our strengths, depends on our weaknesses. And um, there are obviously instances where every goalkeeper should be making maybe one decision based on a trigger, but um, I think keeping it simple is going to be key for reading triggers. No, but you're 100% right. And we've talked about that. Like your strengths to like also dictate that. So if your explosiveness off the line for a 50-50 ball is different than another goalkeeper's, they're going to they're gonna react differently to that trigger. And right. it's understanding your strengths, absolutely. And I, like, I love what you said about not getting overwhelmed about all the information in front of you. And we see a lot, that a lot with young goalkeepers where 
Like, you know how I feel about young goalkeepers. They're so literal. You know, like it's like, oh my god! Yep. Go, uh, left, go left. Go left. They run off the They run off the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're do, we're doing this. Oh, they do, like. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, make a decision. Even like, I'm not perfect shooting the ball, or nobody is. Like, oh my god! Go with it. Uh, yeah. So, and it, it, it's actually recognizing that and learning to recognize that. Like, don't be so literal and don't you know. But that information in front of you, it's also filtering it out. And we get this with young goalkeepers when you're coaching. You know, we're talk- let's say we're talking about communication and organization when, you know, you're- there's a counterattack coming at you. And I'll be like going over that and my kids will be like organizing the weak side because I told them to organize the weak side. And the ball is like entering the 18. And I'm like, dude, you were supposed to organize the weak side and that's the end of it. Like, like now focus on the ball, you know. So it's it's not getting overwhelmed and caught up in that stuff. And, you know, just it's really reading the game. And I think you just brought up, go ahead. Again, you have to see reps and reps and reps. You can't just see it and hope to get better at reading when you're going to come or when you're going to go for a 1v1. You got to see tons of 1v1s to be able to make your decisions. Because everything's different. Always. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm glad you just brought that up in regards to having to see those repetitions, those repetitions, those repetitions, by the way, I'm just picturing this this poor, no, I'm just picturing this poor goalkeeper who like said like organize the weak side. And this goalkeeper's just like focused on organizing the weak side. The ball's like, like, over he's, like, like he's like over here talking to the weak side and the ball's in the back of the net. And I'm just like, Oh my God, not no, so literal. When you're like checking your shoulder and then <laughs> looking across is right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. Um, How do you, and then you're just like, all right, I, good to, to listen to me and organize a weak side, but now we have to understand when, how, why to do it. Yeah, I think understanding the why is a big one for taking the next step and applying it to a new scenario is like, yeah. you're not just doing it to do it. Don't take it literally. You just got to understand when and when and why you're doing that. What's yeah. important. I mean, you brought up a really good point in regards regards to the why. And I think one of the issues, Bella and, and Saskia, I don't know how, how you feel about this too. I, I think you're on the same page as us is that the problem is a lot of goalkeeper coaches are doing the same pattern scenarios over and over again in training sessions. And then goalkeepers, they start anticipating those plays in games, yeah. but then they can't deal with the unexpected. Um, I'll give a perfect example. And maybe we'll watch it in a second. Is that Lynn Williams play where the ball deflected? I think it was a, the pass from Dabinia to Lynn Williams or something like that, right? And then she hit the shot. The ball had had a rebound, and then you had to recover because the ball was bending to the back post. But because of the deflection, then it started veering near post, and you had to react and you had to make that movement across like that, you know. Um, so how important is it to do multiple, multiple, and just different types of scenarios over and over again, and change it up for the goalkeeper so they're not familiar with it, Bella? Well, for me, I would tell you, for me, like if you're, if we're doing something and let's say we're doing a through ball into a certain position and everything like that, and you're, and we're doing repetition after repetition and you start cheating and leaning and anticipating, I'm going to slot the ball in your post. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be like, why don't you pick that out in the net and stop leaning to your left? Yep. You know, that's a big, that's a big component of our training um, (laughs) in our group. It's, Hey, if I'm cheating, punish Mm -hmm. me for it. Like, absolutely. Um, and, and I tell the forwards try to make each other look like idiots. <laughs> um, but no, also but it's true. Within training, um, we obviously do you know a nice warm up, work on, on on technical executions. But as soon as we get more into the complex movements, um, if you were to watch one of our trainings, we don't have cookie cutter. You know, every rep's going to be the same. We right. integrate as much 
no looking as possible. We integrate as much multi-option, you know, like someone's on the ball, maybe presenting um, a shot, but they pass to someone wide. Like yeah. we're not, we don't do a lot of ABC drills. This is, that's part of the warm up. And then towards the end of the goalkeeper session, it's, it's kind of a free for all. It's a structure, but there's maybe three, four, five things that can happen. And that's, what's really gotten us um, as a group good at reading triggers and being patient is like really at, towards the end of training, we're doing a, a structured practice, but like anything can happen and you need to be able to read that. Um, because a lot with, a lot of times with kids, um, it's easier just to kind of get, you know, you want to get them the technical, um, aspects of the game nice and clean, but it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in doing the same drill over and over again. And you're right. They either anticipate and they start leaning yeah. or they're just, they kind of hit their ceiling in, in, in that day of not, they're not having to anticipate. They're not having to, and they're not reading or it's just, I know it's coming to my right. I'll dive yeah. when it gets there instead of maybe you're leaning and she opens up her hips. You got to get squared up again. So, yeah, I mean, the game's not predictable. I don't think training should be either. I, 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 you bring up a really good point because there's a, there's a lot of times, like I'll see, like even a high-level ECNL goalkeeper, and I'll watch them in a warm-up, and I'm just like, clean hands, like great movement and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, no, they just memorized the warm-up. Yeah. They literally don't know how to read the game once they get into the game and the messiness of the game. They just know how to go through these patterns right here, you know? And, and I, think, I think there's something that we really need to bring up in, in regards to that too, Bella, and that is that the, like, there's a difference between guessing, leaning, anticipating, and, you know, and having an educated idea of where the direction of the play is going, right? Sure. Yeah, I think that that's a fair distinction. I think that... Um you can, you can read what's in front of you and have a pretty good idea of maybe what's going to unfold, but you can't let your body give it away. You, you have to be balanced at all times. You can't, you know, maybe if because of the defender's formation, the, the forward only has far post open. You can anticipate that, but there might be a deflection. You need to be balanced and ready yeah. for that. I was you just going to say You can't that. take your step early because you know all she's got is a bender to the back post because it could go right through your defender's leg to the near post. you got to be balanced yeah. as long as possible. Even if you have an idea of what's going on, you may be more prepared for that bender back post, but you need to be ready for anything mm -hmm. that could happen because the game's unpredictable. Yeah. Not a Portland Thorns defender. How many times does your defender lunge and it goes through their legs right at you? But you or it know. deflects a little bit and, then you're, looking bit. At, and yeah. you're looking at it go by your feet because you already are going right. towards the post. So I think Absolutely. having an educated guess mm -hmm. is one thing, and I think we talk about it a lot with, you know, especially reading your defender's position in relation to what is being given um, in terms of the goal. But yeah, I think being balanced and patient as long as possible is uh, key. And we tell, like, and I tell my goalkeepers and we tell goalkeepers like this, is, I was just explaining this to somebody this weekend, but it's, it's chess. Like we are positioning and hopefully they're listening, our defenders to make the simplest save, to, to make the smallest angle for the shooter and everything, whether it's push or right, push or left, step, whatever it is. So you're manipulating the situation, but you can't you can't over assume that it's going to be perfect. You can't say, okay, you know, so and so is pushing her right. She's pushing her right. She only has this much. She's going to slide it here. That's it. And so I am going to lean. I'm going to get a jump on this, like you said, because there's a, it's never perfect. It's a gray area. It's a deflection. It's this. It's that. It's the other. You know, your 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 defender doesn't do what you said. Next thing you know, she cuts it back, and your you know your weight's the wrong direction. Yeah. So I'll always be balanced, you know, yeah. but reading the game. I think a big topic we touched on last year as a goalkeeper group was, you know, if you're being presented, it's a snapshot right before the shot comes off their foot. 
and there's some information in front of you that's telling you that some part of the goal is open. Maybe it's, and it's a harder part of the goal to, to score on for whatever reason. You need to be able to save what, you're, what you need to save. In those tough situations, maybe they're only five yards out of, off the goal line and it's crowded and things are happening. Too many times goalkeepers will anticipate lean and it ends up going right past them. And I'm mm -hmm. definitely guilty of it in training. Um, save what you should be saving. Make the yeah. forward have to make that hard, that hard shot that's, you know, a harder goal. Save what you, I mean, at the end of the day. Save we, what you can save. Out of the save net, keep it simple. Yeah. Like your job is to save what's in your bubble. It's to save what you can save. If you're going to put the ball, if you're going to rip a shot into my upper 90 that nobody's going to be able to save, I'm not upset about that. Like I'm probably, I've gotten up and clapped before, like my shot, you know, after ripping my defender and a new one probably. But Wait, um, you got up and clapped? I've clapped before. You played against normal way back in the day. You would have clapped too. Um, so, so we're Germany. So, um, yeah, but. Save what, and then that's part of keeping it simple. Yeah. Like your job isn't to be this like, you know, like circus act that's flying all over the place, making these crazy saves. It's, it's to keep it simple, to keep it organized. I've always said the greatest save a goalkeeper can make is no save at all for organization. And second of all is the easiest save possible. Stay on your feet, hold on to the ball, don't give up a rebound, you know? But that, you know, that's how you want to look at it. Save what you can save. Can we uh can we pull up uh, uh one on uh, okay honestly Bella this is one of my favorite saves maybe like honestly in a while like I really love this save I think we've brought over it over like four times on the show I'm gonna pull up the Sanchez to hatch <laughs> I'm sorry I just I love this play I well, have to pull it up, up. <laughs> and I I, I want to get your feedback on it whoops that's not that's not it right there um all right now set look at your set position right there and notice how she's not leaning that direction already she's in a nice st solid stable position right there as i don't have to tell her and then as that shot's hit she starts recognizing that trigger of how that ball is moving uh, yeah and that follow-through is absolutely world-class in my opinion bella right there and I mean, bella you'll I, love you, you'll love this we had michelle Akers on um analyzing for from a forward perspective because she's like saskia i'm coming on the show to like school you goalkeepers and her t her mentality on this was so number one like she should have cut it inside because she would have been taken out and it would have been a pk um but but we were like and michelle said she goes this is what's so great about this is that michelle hated was you came and you stood her up so now she has to make that decision um, instead of like a lot of goalkeepers Boom. will come and they'll be like, oh, maybe I can beat her that ball and I'm going to go down on a 50-50. And, you know, she knows, you know, you're beat. Um, but to recognize, okay, you're not going to get to that ball and then stand her up big. And Michelle said she hated when that, Look at that. when that would happen because now she has to, now she's like, crap, what do I do? You know, and um, no, it was solid. You know, you were you were balanced, and you know, where's she gonna put it? I mean, yeah. it was absolutely so brilliant, brilliant to me because also also the steer too. A lot of goalkeepers in that situation they just react and then they just make make a play on the ball. But you actually made a, a conscious decision of where you were going to steer that ball, and you followed through, which is something that we talk about with our, our our young goalkeepers all the time. Is they have to be following through, nose and chin keeps the eyes on the ball and follows all the way through the play. And then even your recovery movement, you're up and you're ready in case anything happens. So See, I, anytime I, you want to awesome. feel in a good mood, just come on the show. 
<laughs> we'll just fluff you. <laughs> I, I've changed my mind. And I was like, you're like, oh, I've heard Sasuke is like a bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like in that moment was like, obviously next play, it's corner, whatever. But after the game, me and Nadine both were like, I don't know. What, did I make that look harder than it needed to look? You know, when you come out of position or something and it looks like. No, making, I think making it look hard, making it look worse was if you had come out and made, like, you didn't make the wrong decision, in my opinion. I, I, I don't think so either. I think at the time, it, I just was like, oh, I felt kind of, she could have chipped me, but I'm also six foot. So. Oh my God, she could not have chipped you. Um, no yeah. way, at that speed. Yeah, well, I, it was one of those that I wasn't organizing the weak side. I knew that she was coming, but it was one of those, it was like too late to say Yeah, anything. yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't know if she's going to touch this early or let it roll. Um, but, but I, had she, you would have been fine. Right. So that's why I kind of stepped out in that moment. I'm strong, not so much with my hands on the ground going one v one, but with my feet, I didn't really have a ton of foot saves in the, in the tournament, but in training, I'm something I'm really comfortable with and that I actually, I love doing. And part of that is, you know, closing the space and getting set in the right moment, not just yeah. coming through the ball. No, you can't anticipate for foot saves or you're going to get to go through your legs <laughs> or you're going to go wrong foot. Um, so that's why I think I stepped out was, okay, I'm going to get ready for her to just kind of try to dig it past me. Um, also had no idea if my, my defender was going to be able to recover in time because she was whipping across. So I just decided to kind of take some space away from her. And I think my balanced position did give me the best opportunity to make a full extension on that because had I leaned anyway, I, it would have taken too much time. Or had you not been body weight forward, like you were set and your body, you were set at the right time so that that reaction could happen. And it was too many times when we talked about this um, with what, the save in the, in the, uh, in the um, MLS final, now, not save, the goal, um, where he's still, that ball's being headed and he was still, he was still getting into his set position. Yeah, there was no way that his reaction he was already behind on the reaction, but right. because you were already set, your your reaction was with power and forward, and it kept that out of the net. That was that's what I see about it. I mean, I think for personally, as myself as a goalkeeper, if I get set late, everything it's not even just like like my supposition is usually too wide because I'm trying to stop really quickly. Right, wide. Um, I sit on my butt. It's really hard to get out of an extension. So I find that if I can get into that supposition. Even if it seems a little too early for myself, I give myself the best chance to make an extension dive save. Oh, it's like, a, yeah, it's a rhythm. So it's yeah, like, like it's a, rhythm. a chain reaction, getting set late. Exactly. Like, throw your hands back. Maybe you jump. Your set position gets wide. You lean over. Like all these things that happen if you decide to set too late. You brought up a really good point in regards to because I think one of the things that was was happening, I think Saskia with the with the play with, with Gaiese was the pulse. And because the pulse was so high, by the time he was still up, when that shot was when the shot was hit, and Bell, I think there was one thing about well, you. But if is you that, look at the way he's setting, like Franz Hook, when we talked to Franz Hook about that, it's a hop, 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 hop. And for, I, I never set that way. My set was I was always grounded in some way, and my set was a step into a set. It wasn't like I was never off the ground to set and move. It was a step. So one foot was always on there, step, lean forward, and move. And it was the timing of the ball. If you see when that ball's hit, he still has to land. And then, even though it's little, he still has to land and then move, and he's already behind the play. And she, I don't, I feel that your timing on that was like, 
but boom, you know, you were, you were, it was good timing. Look, see, I'm, I'm being good. My no, goal. you're being good and you're being positive. And I mean, I'm being look, positive. I, I was told I don't, I, I need to be more positive. So I'm being positive. If you see something, you rip me apart. Oh, I will. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will. Trust me. Just give me a ball. Let you know. I'm not getting some, I'm not getting a German goalkeeper coach. All right. So, all right. So here's a goal. No, I'm just kidding. No. What if I just pulled out like some, all right, here's a goal on Bella. So the goals I got scored on, I was like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, you could, if you already I mean, know you could, what you did wrong, I don't need to tell you. <laughs> my gosh, it was it was baptism by fire for you, though. I mean, coming into that coming into that first match, I mean, it was like North Carolina first match. Okay, here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I think my my college experience was similar. I was kind of dumped in the deep end that way. Um, Welcome to uh, <laughs> Our the, the junior goalkeeper uh, had transferred or something, and. Yeah, and we were, I remember like 7 0 losses to Stanford, and I was just like, all right, next team. So <laughs> used to it in that way. Um, but yeah, I was, was stoked for it to be North Carolina for my first game, to be completely honest. I think, uh, I think you and Suskia had the same, uh, same college, college experience, apparently. apparently. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> we we, 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 I, I've, seen, <laughs> I've probably seen every situation that could ever happen in a game, but that's a good thing. We didn't yeah. want to be my freshman year of college. That was truly a baptism by fire. <laughs> Wasn't um, to- I didn't win a pro game till like my third year there. So All right. On on that note, um, I want to talk about something in regards to the triggers that is, is, is kind of a thing is that a lot of young goalkeepers, they think that triggers are all just physical. And one of the things, Bella, that you've brought up a lot here is tactics and that the movement off the ball is more of a trigger for you necessarily than what the player with the ball is doing. So kind of break, break that down. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of elements to that. Um, I feel like there are almost more triggers off the ball than there are just on the ball. And there's only so much one person on the ball can do or show you. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff off the ball or space-related, I think, that gives you information about where you should be um, positionally when you need to get set. So a big one for, especially in the NWSL that I had to kind of adjust to from college was um, shooting distance. So my depth in relation to the shooter um, in the NWSL, we have so many amazing athletes that are going to shoot from anywhere accurately with pace. Um, and so changing that kind of trigger was a, was a change for me. Um, and just to get more specific, I'd say that, you know, if someone's got a little bit of space, just outside the 18, they're going to shoot it. Or they yeah, they're um, So dropping onto my on my goal line a bit and not being high up, and not getting roofed, was an adjustment for me coming into the coming into the league. But yes, movement off the ball from other players, um, especially in that last clip with Hatch, I saw her coming, and it, it clear as day what's going to happen. Right, it's going to be a slip pass. It's just going to depend what the quality of that pass looks like for what I do next. It's a movement off the ball from other from other attackers and uh, their their depth and their space from you, and and then also where your defenders are and what they're doing and what they're showing is going to be yeah. a ton of information. I think it's so important because I tell my like young goalkeepers over Zoom. No, I tell the young goalkeepers when I'm back on the field with them, um, you got to be ready for a shot from anywhere. 
And obviously at, the, at that age for club, not so much, but I want to ingrain that in them for as they move up and move forward, because it's true. You know, you're playing against the best of the best in front of you. If they get a little window, somebody might knock a shot on you. So if you're, if you're assuming they don't have that little daylight and you're like, well, they can't shoot. So I'm going to, um, you know, worry about something. It, you're going to get caught. You know, yeah. whether you're going to get chipped, whether you're going to get, you know, you're just going to be a little bit out of position. So once you get into a certain part of the attacking third or the opponent does into the attacking third, you have to look at it like I've organized and I always tell my, my players, your organization should be well over by now. Like, and if you're, if you're playing, haven't already started marking up weak side, if they're not following the runner, that should have been talked about way before this yeah. gets into a threatening, like, distance. Now you're, it's not your job to organize. It's your job to focus on the ball. Yeah. I think it's something that was ingrained in, into me at some, you know, choose your threshold of mm -hmm. when you're going to stop and just focus, deal with it. Yeah. Um, because there's only so much you can try to fix. You should be, like you said, trying to adjust and fix things, give reminders before it's too late. Yeah. Right. If the weak side's open and there's about to be a cross, you shouldn't be checking your shoulder maybe just give a reminder as you're staring at the ball. You should and say, you might say, watch weak side or to whoever right. it is, but you're, take, you're on the ball. Yeah. Understand your threshold. It's not even <laughs> a subjective threshold. I think that there is a hard objective threshold. Yeah. Not organizing. Stop organizing, please. Stop organizing. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah, that, that was That's one that I would say is not person to person. That is an objective. That is like across the board. I'm like, yes. Stop. <laughs> Stop talking. It was one of my biggest, one of, one of my biggest mistakes, um, trying to go in. Then I'm still organizing. Well, here's, here's, here's what happened is, uh, when I first started trying to play at the professional level and I did not get to the level that you guys did, but I did attempt to try to play at some level of, uh, after college. And, um, I didn't realize how much faster the game was yeah. and that when I was trying to organize back post, <laughs> the gap was open by the time I was trying to organize that the ball was in the back of the net. Mm -hmm. Or there was a being, or there was a play to be made on the ball because the, the speed was that fast, and I just realized I was like, "Oh my gosh, how many?" And I, I, I talked to my goalkeeper coach about this. I was like, "How many words am I using that are unnecessary?" And it, and it, and it made me really, really. And I, when I started coaching, I started understanding how much clear, concise, direct communication is and so so got, important. And it's got to be direct. Number one, it's the nine one one theory. Okay, you don't say somebody. You don't say watch weak side or back post, you have to identify a person and do it, else nobody's going to do it, right? So it's a 911 theory that if there's an accident and you say, call 911, nobody's going to call 911 because they think that somebody else did it, right? So if you say, Jen, mark back post, and she doesn't do it, well, now it's her fault. So, and I, I'm serious. So it's like, you know, even if it's a great ball and good run, I told, you know, I specifically told you to do it. But I was always that I was the way I kept connected with the game is even if we were in the attacking third, even with the national team, I was still giving cues. Hey, pinch it a little bit, you know, Brandy, this, that, just watch your weak side. So by the time a breakdown happened or something, I'd already like put those chess pieces in. They already knew to do it. I'm always way ahead of the game. And then there comes a time that that's the end of it. You have to focus on the ball and that, like you said, I agree. There is a certain point in all goalkeeping. It's across the board. It, it, I don't think it's a gray area. Stop talking and focus on the ball. Um, that, the, no, that's a really good point, Saskia. And I, I didn't even think about this in regards to this episode here. But Bella, recognizing triggers doesn't necessarily mean about final action and uh, a play on the ball. Recognizing triggers can be in when you organize and how you organize, right? 
absolutely. If you're if your team's in the in the in the attacking third, and you're just kind of watching, ball watching, you know, <laughs> essentially acting as a spectator, which you know, if it's a slow game or whatever, it only takes one counterattack to uh, level you. things. Uh, you can't wait to organize when they're coming at you. That ha- that unfolds so quickly. You're going to be chase like you're going to go to organize something. And the situation changes. Change your plan. Yeah. Like you're trying to organize ahead of time, put yourself in the best position to be concise and not chasing the play in terms of organizing um, is going to give you the best chance to not be chasing with you know, chasing the organization when the ball keeps coming, keeps coming, and you mm-hmm. finally have to think that if you can organize early, that cutoff becomes more clear, right? Yeah. Like, you're not, there's not so much that needs to be done because you've organized early, and you can, you know, effectively and calmly cut off and just zoom in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody that's like, if let's say there's a counterattack, quick counterattack, and anybody that's like, oh my God, Jen, push in! Like, you're too late. You're already too late. Like if you have to skip ahead. Yeah, if your if, if your outside back was out there like talking to the fans and something, and they're like totally out of position, that's your fault too. You know, you're up there watching the balls, and they are, are attack. They're attacking third. We're going to goal. And what t- it takes two seconds just to say, hey, make sure you pinch in. Make sure you guys, you know, watch this. Watch for counter and stuff like that. So when it happens, you're already in position to to, to shut it down. But if you're catching up to the play you're you're behind yeah and i think that goes a lot into um soccer iq and and really learning the game is trying to put yourselves in the mindset of those those people that are trying to score on you (laughs) (laughs) and uh see what you know see what holes there are in front of you and um trying to plug those holes before they're leaking um kind of so to speak so yeah i think that if you're reactively organizing you're already behind you need to be proactively organizing and you know some reactive things here and there, but it, it can't be mostly reactive. It has to be completely proactive. You have to be, and that's the only time you should be proactive in goalkeeping and, and cheating or assuming is kind of anticipating what they're going to do next. See? How I, no, I was just going to say, I was going to say. Reactive, like, don't be reactive, be proactive. I see Saskia it all the time. is your cheerleader. Did you see I her? I wanted to make a t-shirt that said, stop being reactive, be proactive. I'm like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I made that up. See? It's gotten all the way to Seattle. No, just um, kidding. <laughs> I want to talk about this and I want to bring up that Lynn Williams deflection uh, shot, which was early, early on in that game, because that's another trigger is when a ball is hit and then it takes a deflection, how you recognize that that ball hits on the deflection and how the movement has shifted. So uh, do you guys mind if I play that, that play right here? All right, here we go. A little bit because I don't think this is the most dynamic of my movements. My dog said, <laughs> yes, play it. All right, here we go. Ball comes in. And well, don't bet that's a good recovery save. That I saw your face. You're like, Man. I was like, ew. <laughs> okay. Well, Glad hold on. I kept it out of the net. Play it again. Objective one complete. I kept it out yeah. of the net. Keep the ball out of the net. Um look, the gap's open and you make the recovery because of the way the ball that was being hit, and now you recovered. That's still yeah. a good movement. I'm gonna be I'm devil's advocate. I'm 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 fine with it. I'm not gonna be a stickler. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will. It's your, it's your can, play, can I, your play. Can you can I move too? however you want. Yeah. yeah. It just didn't look, I mean, I didn't feel very dynamic. I'm gl- it, and it was probably because it was a deflection and I was hectic. I wasn't planning on doing that. I got, I was a little bit under, I didn't fully excite. You can kind of see here that my pushing legs a little bit collapsed. I'm not quite fully extending through it. Um, not the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that this one three minutes into the game was great. Um, I was, my positioning was ready for 
um, a slotted ball behind my back line. Yeah. Um, as you can see, I'm not, she's not, her body language isn't showing me that she's going to shoot it. Um, but I think if you look, here I go, but okay, just listen. I think, and I think you know this, that's why you're talking about it. But I think if you look that pre, your pre-stretch, you have a really quick set leaning towards the far post and wait, look, you get the ball of the net and that's all that matters to me too. I don't, keep the ball in that but if we're going to analyze it yeah yes. I think you knew that really what she was and I think she was looking for the slotted ball in this deflection and and obviously not to commit over commit else that would have been a goal yeah right so you were still able to be balanced I think you're see that see that wide step right there yep mm -hmm. absolutely yep. And I think that if I can be really balanced that that looks a lot easier and then the, you might be able to hold it you know it, the the more often that we can make it look clean and easy the better and i thought that you know i i, I saved this ball but i mean you if I'm, if I'm balanced that's just a two-hand thank you you so you make you save the ball but you made it a harder situation than i could have been right and i think that you know my positioning is is good here i think that you know in the game and certainly looking at i was like if she you know slots that near post i think i I got it, especially if my hips aren't too over-rotated, I can attack it. Um, but I did get that little lean, and I had to really fight it. I felt, mm -hmm. it, felt it in the game. It was like – I felt like that leaned ready to go, and as soon as it deflected, it was like <laughs> – Right. But the good – but, but I would tell you, you know, even with that, and, I, you know, I see how positive I'm being. It's like even in, in, in – even in – like technically going through something. I'm well, Bella's like Bella's like the perfect goalkeeper for you because she's but like I'm she's open, she's open to all of this and she's harder on herself than you are. <laughs> no, so I think that still what's great about the save is I think ninety percent of goalkeepers that had that lean in wouldn't have been able to recover. Um, so although that little lean and you felt yourself fighting it, you still had the athleticism and everything to come back and make that save. Yeah. I guess at the end of the what day. Saved me, what saved me is that my body was out of it in terms of being balanced. My body was guessing. My mind wasn't. Right. Like, had I, had I committed to the cross, I think I would have been really screwed on that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I was able to overcome it because I was more more mentally balanced than I was physically. Your eyes were still on the ball. Um, yeah, fine, trying to overcome that mm -hmm. physically was, it felt like I was just barely there in the game and it was like, <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of like, hey, don't, don't anticipate too much was my own feedback in the game. Yeah, and, well, you got you know, and we see the same thing. It was just that little lean and stuff. Yep, but you still kept the ball in the net. So I mean, like if I was on the sideline and you'd be and we discuss it, I'd be like, "Hey, kept the ball in the net. We'll talk about it later." Yeah, <laughs> like, it's all good with me. It's all good with me. I'm well, like, and, you, and you got and you got your first touch early in the game. There you go. So yeah, so, but I would say get, that you know that and the like, legend like, of Bella Bigsby begins. Yeah, I so said we always say that like, oh, should they use the top hand? Should they use the backhand? And I was like, they kept the ball in the net. Um, <laughs> three minutes in against our, you know, against North Carolina, it was like. Uh, that's a huge, but that's also a huge statement. Not a goal. <laughs> but it's also a huge statement because it's a whole entire situation if that ball had gone in. Yeah. Like now you're down, you know, that three minutes in there is that goal. But you, you know, recovering in a goalkeeper mind, like field players might not have noticed that recovering and making that save also sets a standard and a precedence for your team. Like, hey, I'm here. And, you know, you're going to have to really work to get the ball by me. Presence. Oh. 
We talked about Speak, that. Was, yes, we did. We did with Dan Abrahams, that, that presence in the body language. Speaking of, speaking of body language and reading players' bodies, look at that segue. Did you see how I just did that? I'm so it's proud of myself. It's getting better. It's getting, it's getting better. Um, Bella, what are some of the mistakes that goalkeepers make when reading a player's body? Um, obviously, at the youth level, I, I see this countless, countless, countless times where goalkeepers read – read the body in a certain way and then just assume that the player is going to move like that. And then they start shifting. So what are some of the other mistakes you see? I think that the assumption comes from deciding that they're done reading too early. Um, Deciding that they've had all, got all the information that they need. And I certainly make this mistake, but when I'm really honed in and really watching through to the very last second, I find that I'm making the right decisions. And when I'm anticipating, it's just, and it's, you know, milliseconds we're talking about when you're deciding to, okay, I've read enough, I'm going to act. It's milliseconds, the difference. If you just hold out a little bit longer, you might find that they're giving you different information than you thought. Um, And my best example of that would be like um, someone that's taught me all the patience in the world with reading triggers is being shot on by Christine Sinclair. Um, She's so deceptive. Um, You know, she'll show you that she waits until you've made that, that tiny little fraction of a second. Um, before she shoots it, she waits to see what you've decided that she's going to do. And she goes the other way. So you really have to hold out until the, the very last second. Um, and you'll find that it's, you're, you're more successful because your, your brain's going to read. I think the more reps you see, you got to trust yourself to make the right decision and not anticipate too quickly. If that makes sense. That's my problem with triggers at least is that if I'm in like, a, if we're doing foot saves and I'm maybe just getting there a little bit early with my, with my foot or I'll go completely the wrong foot because I'm not reading the situation long enough. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling rushed. I'm feeling like panicked maybe. And I'm feeling like I don't have the time to hold out just a little bit longer. And it turns out I do. I'm quick enough and I'm strong mm-hmm. enough that if I just hold out, I can get there. And that's a good point. And something I talked about the other day was because you, because you have to hold out and assess a situation is where the quickness and the explosiveness comes in. That's where you make up for that millisecond of, of holding. Um, you make up with your strength and your speed. So when you make the decision, it's, it's explosive and it's here and it's there. But if you don't have that explosion, plus you wait, then you're going to be behind the ball. And like Michelle said, when we had acres on, you know, for Sinclair, um, you know, she is waiting you know, Mia waits as well. Like she is waiting to see you bite and UCLA man, Mia hands us too. But, um, <laughs> but when you don't give that to her, then now she is in her head. And Michelle admitted that. I mean, it's the greatest song, you know, yeah. it's Michelle Akers. She admitted that. She goes, I'm hoping you, you're going to bite. I'm hoping I get you to do that. I'm hoping you're falsely reading my body language. And when you don't, now I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. and so that's what we want. But again, because you have to hold and wait to um, Tony and Chico, leave later, I have early power, power through. So it's taking that split second to make that, but you have to be able to make up for that with, with, with quickness and yeah. power. And I think that's where we see a lag with, with youth goalkeepers is that um, they do hold that space a little bit and try to read the triggers. That quickness and strength and explosiveness doesn't come overnight. So even exactly. if they're actually, and they're not quite getting there quick enough, they think that <laughs> something's wrong. Um, when they're, you know, they're anticipating or they're reading the situation correctly and it's just, there's a lag physically. 
and they give up and start guessing. That's kind of like what I see. Um, oh, what a good point. There's a lot. And it's like, you can just keep doing the right things in terms of reading the game. The physical side will catch up if you're doing right. Yeah, it's athletically that you're, it's not up here. Yeah. And I, I found that what I found out the hard way in, in college. <laughs> like I was athletic enough, big enough, quick enough, explosive enough to just react to, to shots. The, right. the pace wasn't so high that, you know, I could save a lot of balls by being in the right position and reacting to the path, the flight of the ball. Right. I get to the NWL and it's like, that doesn't fly anymore. Uh-uh. <laughs> you do yeah. that and you wait, the ball's in the back of the net by the time Absolutely. you're kicking off. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're like, and what's going on? And so it, it, that, that adjustment period for me happened Absolutely. two and a half years ago. But um, yeah, I think anytime you go up in a level, whether you're, you know, very young or you're my age, anytime you go up in a level, it's that reading comes, becomes more and more important because these balls are perfectly placed and very deceptively taken. And so you can't guess. You can't. You might get lucky, like you said, maybe one in 10 times, but. You, you no, know I mean, well, I can even dumb it down to our conversation with Franz Hook about, you know, our, our tutorial by Franz Hook. We've all just sat here like this. Cause, the, two hour, the two hour tutorial. The two hour, hour in the we morning. just sat here and he just like schooled us and he like, <laughs> but, you know, being on that same page and if you break it down even simpler for young goalkeepers watching and stuff like, like take PKs, for example, you know, don't guess. I'm sorry. Force, force in my opinion, and Franz Hook's opinion, force the forward to hit a perfect shot you know you know if you can get if you can get your timing right on your set so it's the boom and you can react you can react to the shot you're forcing that player to shoot a perfect pk because i trust that at your level um you're gonna get a couple of those you know as opposed to like we saw in the end of in the mls game how many times he went right every single time? What was it? I mean, I was just like four, three or four times. Yeah, it was. He was driving me crazy. I was like, "What? Did you just pick that you're just going to go right the whole time and hopefully catch a ball?" Like that was, I think, the situation. Like I was like wanting to beat my head against the wall because a couple of the shots went right down the middle. So if you take that quick pause, yeah, yeah, if you take, yeah, and and then some of them were just in his bubble, but he's diving all the way over here because he's assuming, and it, it goes for the same on the field in the run of play, but. That's where athleticism comes in and your power and your strength. And it's got to be worked on. And I totally agree with you on that. And if I had to give advice to, you know, coaches and players that want to get more of that reading, that last second snapshot of body language for like a one-on-one shot or like PK or whatever and ignoring other cues, in, in our goalkeeper group, I can't tell you how much of our, you know, um, reps that we receive are with our head down and we pick it up and she's already striking the ball. Yeah. Already. Or, you know, we're having to have our body position and turn into it and we have, you know, it's that last second snapshot. So I can paraphrase AD French who (laughs) jokes that that has helped her with PKs because all you need is that last snapshot right before the ball. And if you're focused on all this other stuff and worrying about guessing this and that, PKs have become more enjoyable for her because again, that, you know, we do so much stuff where we are on the goal line, we have our head down and she uses a cue word and we, we are picking our head up to see they're coming coming at our face or at our feet Mm -hmm. or it's going left or it's going right. And we have half a second to read her body language and to to react. Just be the last second. And that has helped so much. We do that every day. 
something yeah. where our vision is obstruction. We've got glasses, like all these things that you can do. <laughs> oh, you have those fancy glasses with the, fit, the things, with the things like this? knockout yeah. and, and stroke. Oh, I haven't done that one. But yeah. Uh, yeah, she likes her toys. Um, but I do that, I, bet I don't know if it's, you know. It comes as, you don't need glasses. It comes as simple as striking. I do that with my kids a lot. And it's head up, head down. And it's it's that quick. And the number one thing is find the ball. Mm -hmm. Your eyes, find the ball, find the ball. I see the ball, I see the ball. The level is those reps of, Uh that helped me transition into reading. And again, just finding the ball, just see the ball. Find the ball. And I tell my kids that all the time. And I do stuff where you're facing this way. And, you know, even if it's like a slotted ball, you're turning What's the first thing you do? Your head goes. Nothing. Your head, the body will follow. But find the ball. Find the, find the ball. <laughs> like, because if you're going like this, by the time your body, if you're like stuck Hanging. with your head, by the yeah. time you turn, the ball's in the back of the head. Right. But if you turn your head, which you can turn quicker than your body, if you turn your head and find the ball, your body will follow. I'm giving you the tools. You know. As yeah. Second, cool. This is what it's going to follow. Like, you've got all these triggers. It doesn't matter if you if you don't do the correct things to a find the trigger and b respond to the trigger the triggers don't mean anything if you don't have those tools speaking of that bella um i, I want to share one more clip if everyone's cool with that okay yeah. i want to share one more clip okay so this is this is again lynn williams and uh this is i think you might remember this one this was at the near post hold on let me open it up right here um and i want you i want basically everyone to see kind of how your starting position kind of directly related to what you were seeing in front of you right here let me let me open it up right there and I think I know. <laughs> okay. There was a lot of Lynn Williams stuff that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot. Okay, <laughs> right? so I, I, all right. So no, she was having a game. I remember. Shot right there. So positioned right there. Call, you have to change programs. Like change. That's what we say with our group. You have to change programs. I had to do it three different times. Mm-hmm. And those are three to three separate triggers. But your your eyes. So here's the first one. Your head, if you watch her like head, right doesn't have a lot of options. She's got defender pressure, and she's near the goal line. So I square up because that's what I've been taught to do. Yep. Yeah. It slides through, but I have to turn to see if maybe there's pressure. Set. Set. Back. Turn. Set. Look Set. at the patience, though. I, I want a lot of young goalkeepers to see that. Look at the patience. She didn't. You didn't panic in this situation. And you held, and then it's a simple just touch. Good, good position. Simple shape behind the ball. Just keep it out. Good position. Boom, yeah. just like that. But again, so. I find, I don't know if you agree with this, but I find that the more in tune you are um, up here, so the more your, your eyes are following the ball, the more in tune you are there, things are slower. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not chaotic. It's, it's not Right. Like, it's it's, it's <laughs> chaotic when you're like this. But when you're like this, it, it, it looks fast to us, like to the layman, um, not to us, but to the layman. But it, but if you're t- if you're dialed in here and with your eyes and everything like that, it, it's not going as crazy and as fast as you think it is. Right, and it's because of I mean, in that moment, I'm trying to pick in only the important information, and the, you know, in the first ball, it's like, all right, I'm gonna square up, so she has very little to to see. Slides through anyway. Okay, there could be change program. There could be someone coming i need to step and get squared up oh no okay it's sliding back across get set for a shot oops like you just every time there's a new trigger you have to readjust and just taking the information that you need to take in and all this extra stuff like i don't know if you saw my defenders they were all over the (laughs) like side to side maybe they were gonna get it maybe it'd go through their leg like just taking in the information that i need which is what lynn williams has where those options are 
But I think the other thing, if you notice, Michael, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is the adjustments are so small. Yeah. Okay. They're not major steps. They're not like, oh, here goes the ball. You're not following. You're, you're just changing your adjust. You're changing your position a little bit. Okay. So it's a little bit. It's not like, you know, you have kids and they get stuck with, I think a lot of things is they get stuck with following the ball too far or they get stuck with, uh, you know, somebody running through them. Like you got to like the blinders on, you have to like kind of zone in and then it's just simple turns and adjustments. That's why it didn't look so chaotic because you, you had your positioning, you were, you know, you were square, which I do too. You were square, came across. It was a short, it was a short adjustment with your legs, with your feet, body weight forward. Okay. Short adjustment again, okay. So if you watch, you didn't have to travel very far, which is short adjustments. Yeah, and if you want to see a bad example of me, <laughs> it was the tying goal for the spirit. And it was because I was closing the near post. I don't know if you guys remember it. It was that flick from uh, Sanchez and then a header. I came Oh, my gosh. That, well, that, 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 all, that play was crazy. pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't anticipating yeah. it, so I, I got scrambled mentally, which, you know, you want to stay as calm as possible. And I got scrambled because I wasn't expecting this back heel flick thing that she did that was crazy. <laughs> Did she but do that at practice at UCLA? I did a job of getting set in the right moment. I, I wasn't really with it. I'm okay. trying to like catch up, like catch up. So I just, I am sprinting across goal and I don't get set in the right moment. Ball's coming off her head. I'm still moving and I'm over. I, like you said, I just overrun and it goes right back the way right. it came. So that's, if you want to see a bad example, like that is one where I just got <laughs> frazzled and just yeah, frazzled all butt to the back post and it ended up just going back away. And, and I say this to players a lot. I would have just caught it. Yeah, and I say to players a lot, and this is a to another Tony DeChico statement, but it's better to be setting out of position than moving. Right. So you get, you, get, you get into drills and you get into things where you're like, okay, so you're going to start at that post and you're going to come, we're going to do near post shots or something like that. And here, timing-wise, you know, I might be shooting when you're halfway into the center of the goal. You're thinking, I got to get to the near post. Yeah. Instead of looking at at the fact I'm shooting the ball already, so don't keep trying to get to the near post. Set, and then trust that you can either cover that near post for even if you're out of position. Set, or if it goes back the other way, you're there. But if you're still running to the near post and I'm shooting the ball, you know you might. If I shoot it near post, you might make a save. But if I don't, then here go here yeah, you go here go. Concept as a communication. There's a point of no return where it's like, yeah, I had a plan A. <laughs> but I need to read that this person's about to shoot it. And I had plan A. I can't, I can't accomplish plan A. I'm going to give myself the best chance. Thank you. Absolutely. You know I mean? It's like, maybe you want to be fixing the back post, but it, there's no time. You got to just deal with you gotta it. You got to just get set and, and deal with it. Read that they're going to shoot it. You're not where you want to be. Plan B, get set. Like, yeah. it's, the same thing. it's better to be set and out of position than moving. Uh, by the way, I, I absolutely love the change program thing. Like that is, is that an Nadine thing? Cause that, that is, that is awesome. Yeah, that's, that's that. Yeah. I hear that daily. It's like change, <laughs> change programs. She does those change programs. Um, it's when something like, you know, it's when something unexpected happens, which happens all the time. Deflections, you know, maybe something you didn't see your defender it goes through someone's legs. Changing programs is like the fundamental of, you know, just being flexible and not getting frazzled. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, not over-adjusting, just being calm. That kind of stuff is... I think, oh, to answer your question about Ashley, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with her, obviously. Um, I think she's one of those players that Sanchez is that... 
like she'll catch you off. Like, you know, I mean, you're not, ex- yeah, yeah, so you're not expecting her to even do what she does. Catch, it was outside of her foot in stride. It yeah. wasn't easy to read. It's like, and, and she's kind of like, it would have been like, whoa, like she's yeah. hitting a through ball. Like, and she's like, like stealth about it. You're like, oh, you know, here comes the little blonde Sanchez running up to the, and then next thing you know, like, <laughs> like what? You yeah. know, and I think, you know, that she's definitely one of those people that it's good for a goalkeeper to train against and understand, like, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Bella, how are you doing on time? We're, we're going to start wrapping up right oh, now. Great. So. Yeah. I've got all yeah. Okay. I'm on my, I'm on my last little. You're on your last, you're on your yeah. last. I got to get my SEPA what, call. You were so funny. Yeah. Like, I love SEPA the call. I'm like, I, I take I with a nurse. I have everything. <laughs> <laughs> I take SEPA call before every uh, podcast. I do. Yeah. To try to keep my voice uh, going. It sounds like an ad read, by the way, the way I just said that. I'm like, speaking of that promo code, I 18 for SIPACO. Um, no, no, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Bella, uh, before we go, um, is there any advice that you would give like kind of like young goalkeepers um, to kind of be patient and wait for that final snapshot um, rather than, because I think, and this, this is something that even older goalkeepers, myself, for instance, I think I'm two steps behind. I read the snapshot. I think a half a second too early and then by then it's it's too late a lot of times um so kind of like what what have you noticed that has worked for you in the past i mean it sounds just like very vague but being patient um i think that just having that understanding that if you're reading it too early it's going to affect the outcome of the play and it's going to affect your decision making um so it's hard to it's hard to tell young kids to be patient um, especially with, with what we talked about with that lag and in, in quickness and explosiveness to actually complete the play um, well. But yeah, I think that for me, like as a kid, if I'm putting myself in a kid's shoes, like sometimes it's easy to just get into shooting practice and not be really reading triggers at all um, and just be reacting to shots. So I think first step would be trying to read triggers, like something basic like hip position or depth, stuff like that. Um, and then waiting as long as possible because those technical, those athletic aspects are going to come. So if you can manage to stay patient as long as possible, um, and you'll know, right? Like if you're thinking in your head, like if you wait and you're like, she's going left and it goes right, you know, you were wrong. You may not realize if you're guessing and it goes the right way, you might think it may be a false, false positive, but for the most part, you're going to know. Um, if you just stand there and don't react, if you're just standing there, not in goal and you're just watching it and you start trying to like read it and you say left or right, you're going to start getting a good idea of how successful you are at that. So taking out the the athletic side of it, um, you know, that, that the technical aspect needs to come first and then the athletics will, will catch up. You can't, it's harder to do it the other way around. (laughs) I think. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tosca, anything you want to add to that or is that pretty, pretty much sums it up? How's that? Sorry, my dog was making a strange noise. No, um, uh, absolutely. Positive Saskia. Absolutely on the same page. Um, I love it. And um, I think that this is like one of those sessions, one of those um, podcasts and stuff that there's so much to learn from this. And I deal with this, you know, especially with my younger kids, like whether I have a really athletic goalkeeper that thinks they can rely on their athleticism for the rest of your career, which you can't. You know, and we brought that up as opposed to um, goalkeepers that aren't as athletic. So let's see how we can think and be, you know, what, what, you know, you have to start using your head as a goalkeeper. You're not a cone back there, just right. back there to make the same shots. It's not, it's not situation, you know, um, especially as you move 
period. It's not situational. So, um, you know. Yeah, I don't think coaches and, and young players realize how much information is available in front of them and is available at their disposal to give them the best chance of saving the ball. Yeah. Goalkeeping doesn't start when the shot comes off the foot. Exactly. Um, which I think is not something that a lot of people or coaches consider in terms of the depth of their training and what they're coaching their kids. Um, I think that most most school coaches, like the young kids, are like, oh, well, just come up more. Oh, drop back. And they don't understand. Or like, okay. It's like, yeah, they're so, yeah, but what are they communicating? And is your defense on the same page? And what is the means to the ends of the communication? You know, and why are you telling them to do this? And why are you organizing? There, there's so much more to it. You're not just this, like, little reactive wall back there. Little Bobby's such a jumping being. He's going to make all the saves. It, you know, it doesn't yeah. work that way forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that, like, you're, if you're going to work on extension dives every day of the week. Oh, like, my God. It results in, like, marginal gains. You're going to get stronger, right? It's going to – but we're talking marginal gains in terms so of – what's that happen, like, once a season? Much further to the post, being able to get that much further out of a push. Versus, dealing, you know, getting better at the things that come before that that make your job a lot easier. Thank you. Um, not as, not as cool. It's not as. No, exactly. I don't like. I don't care. Like I've well, told. Like, I want as little to do as possible. Like exactly. I told my keepers. I'm just like, you're gonna look at this. Your parents are gonna sit on the sideline in their little folding chairs and see little Bobby dive to the upper corner, and I'm gonna look at you and be like, nice save. All you have to do is take a step to the right. And you yeah, could have stayed on your feet. Organize that earlier. Like yeah. there are so many steps up the ladder to prevent that highlight real save. And a few times in your career, you will truly have to make some wild saves. But I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, my team, we always joke, like the field players and, and, and field player coaches are like, oh, great. Oh, my God, right? And all the goalkeepers <laughs> are like, can you just maybe get in set earlier? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, so true. Like, I'll sit there like, oh, what a great day. But I'm just and like. And we go, no. <laughs> and I'm like, um, oh. Daniel, next time take a step to the right and just catch the ball. Please. You know what's worse though? The worst is like uh, when, when you were younger, you were at Showcase. And like the college coaches are all walking around with their little folding chairs and things like that. And like goalkeepers are clearly embellishing to try to get the go coaches with the folding chairs it's to sit so down and watch them. It's so obvious. I'm like, you, you could have just, just held, very, like held that. Yeah. yeah it's you just ridiculous. made a very simple situation, very difficult. And now it's a corner kick. Triple save. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> like if you hold it the first time, you don't have to make the triple save. <laughs> yeah. Very, very true. I mean, um, well, well, Bella, awesome having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, we've gone over an hour right here. Um, Saskia's been positive the entire time. It's been a phenomenal show I'm like that. It, it was after we had our, our you know, sports psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> on, um, if, uh, if anybody out there uh, wants to follow you, uh, your social media has been blowing up since the Challenge Cup and all that. Where's, uh, where's the best place for people to reach out to you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Bella Bixby 31 on Instagram and Bella Geist on Twitter. So yeah, give me a follow if you care about what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What a pitch. It's a better pitch than yours, Mike. Yeah. Well, and, and you can follow Saskia Weber on all platforms as well too at Saskia underscore Weber. Uh, guys, remember contact at inside the 18. That's the number 18 media.com for a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion. Uh, shout out to all the people that said uh, we need to have Bella Bigsby on. We were already oh, on top of that sweet. since, uh, no, it's true. I mean, people, uh, you, you, made a, you made quite a number 
on, on a lot of goalkeepers. You're very, honestly, it's very inspiring, Bella, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of young goalkeepers, you know, uh, who are in situations where um, they might be not regularly playing, um, you know, seeing a situation like yourself where uh, you grabbed your opportunity, uh, you know, is, is very inspiring to a lot of those kids. But that takes a certain uh, amount of character to be able to do that. And, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what coaches look for. If you're I mean, not, yeah, if you I mean, take like, advantage of your opportunity right. and you can stand up at that time, that's, it's incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. I think that my advice would be, um, you know, it's hard as a goalkeeper. You don't get subbed in and out with field players and just train to be ready at every available opportunity. That's not always going to be a linear growth. Some days you have good days, some days you have bad days. Took me two and a half years to get a, get my start and I haven't played, uh, you know, really, really ultra competitive environment in a game for that amount of time. So definitely wasn't a linear path to get there. Um, like I said, good days, some really bad days. Just stick with it because yeah. you know when you're getting your opportunity. Well, I, I will tell you this. Your, your Wikipedia page is growing exponentially. It's, I haven't uh, looked at it. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even consider it. What are you, the stalker? <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it. I got to do it. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh, guys! At Goalkeeper Podcast, if you want to, you want you want to hear more uh, information on people's Wikipedia's, I guess. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> if you if a guest suggestion or topic suggestion, or if you wanted to reach out to us and ask any questions, that's all the time on Inside the Eighteen today, guys. And we are out later. Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we move on to our next segment, want to remind you all to rate and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Literally takes 10 seconds and immediately makes you eligible for prizes. If you don't have an iPhone, borrow a friend's iPhone. It's just that easy. Thanks for all the support, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me is absolutely no one right now. Absolutely no one is here with me right now. Omar Zini will be joining us a little bit later uh, after he gets back from goalkeeper camp. Uh, but to fill that void, uh, I think we've got someone that's halfway decent for all you guys to uh, to check out. We've got Benfica goalkeeper CJ Dos Santos. Uh, CJ, dude, big shoes to fill, dude. Omar Zini, I don't know if you can do it, man. I mean, I've had a little bit of experience on the, on my on my podcast, and I've done some interviews, so I think I can fill up. They're quite big shoes to fill, but I think I can fill them up pretty well. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited, man. I mean, dude, we I know we've been DMing and stuff like that, and I've been watching your game basically since um, you know youth national team programs and everything like that. Obviously, you came through the whole you know Philly Union program for a little bit. You were at Delco before that, right? Um, for some of like uh, our audience that might not be familiar uh, with you and like how you ended up at Benfica and stuff like that, like can you kind of sum up like how that all happened, the transition from DA to heading to Benfica instead of going to college and all that? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, getting to talk, get, just getting to talk about my passion, the goalkeeper position with a fellow goalkeeper fanatic who has a huge passion for the position. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on the podcast yeah but, dude of course are you kidding me it's uh it's our honor dude i mean like it's not every day 
that we've, I think you're the first sleeveless guest we've had before. Like, and that's like, that's saying something. That's when you know that you've got someone who's a high level player because they're not worried about showing off that physique right there. You know, if you get like a, like a soccer journalist on, like they're as like buttoned up as possible. Like they don't, they don't want anyone to see that physique, you know? I mean, I got a suit right over here. I can put that on <laughs> for you guys if you want. But yeah, I mean, it was a hot day today uh, out here in Lisbon. So really humid. So I actually had a normal uh, t-shirt on, but it was just too humid in my room. So yeah. <laughs> you got to rep the Puma though, right? For sure. For sure. Shout out to Puma. But um, yeah, in terms of the union, um, in 2013, I was 12 going on 13. That was when... Uh, I first started with the Philadelphia Union Academy. That was their first or second year in what is now called the Developmental Academy system. Um, yeah, they they really taught me a lot on how to be a professional. You know, I had a great goalkeeper coach, BJ Callahan, who's now on the, the senior national team right now, who was a big influence on me, a big inspiration for me going through very intense training sessions, very, very intense um but necessary because you know as a young kid you needed to learn how to get through you know when you're tired um keeping the mentality high um and just keeping good reps keeping good quality in the session keeping keeping good technique even when you're exhausted basically so yeah. they really taught me a lot and gave me a great opportunity to show who i was as a player and as a goalkeeper to excel and to evolve and to get to that next level which I owe them a lot before how I arrived to Benfica, but the main reason why I arrived at Benfica and I had the opportunity was my dad who actually got in contact with one of the goalkeeper coaches out here in Portugal. And he actually helped me through that whole system of, you know, going from the union to Benfica. He was the one that kind of set up the whole thing, set up the trial, um, set up the highlight reels on YouTube, uh, really gets all gets it all out there, you know, helps me out with the social media and just keeping myself, keeping a good image for myself and really putting the best foot forward. So he's really not just on the media side, but also as a human being, as a man and as a goalkeeper as well, because he was a goalkeeper and my original goalkeeper coach. Dude, that's awesome, man. I mean, first off, like, it's so cool to have a dad who was a goalkeeper, but I'm guessing also it's one of those things is like, I've trained a lot of kids who like their dads were goalkeepers and played at a high level. The higher the level, the goalkeeper, the more hands off that dad is with the actual training in regards to like when the goalkeeper coach is doing their work. Was it kind of the same with you? He was always, you know, he was always a coach. You know, he was a dad first, but he was always coach dad you know he was always yeah. there he was always a lot of long car rides home you know those long it was never a quiet ride home after a bad game or a good game it was always analyzed um i just had to thank him i know he's watching right now um but i think something that he'll never forget when i signed my first contract with benfica right before i was gonna about to finish signing i turned over to him like dad thank you for making me cry all those times because he really pushed me to the point where I am today. And not just as a man, well, not just as a goalkeeper, goalkeeper, but as a man as well, especially as a man. Yeah. So I really appreciate I, him. 
I mean, dude, I think I, you know, the craziest thing is like, how, I, I wonder what it's like for like the, the actual goalkeeper for like your U10 team who's like playing in the game. And then like, he sees you like balling it out, like on the sidelines, like after I'm like, dude, that's not fair, dude. That dude, like, come on. Like, what, what, is there something that guy can't do? That's not fair. I can't go out there and do the, the number 10, 10 role. Why is this guy able to do that? Um, but dude, it, it, that's honestly one of the things that I think it has helped you once you've gotten to Benfica and, you know, been able to take your game to kind of that next level is that like when you got there, obviously, and that this is going to kind of segue into our topic here of defending the area behind the back line is that you already had a semblance of an understanding of how to play possession. Um, mm. Even though you've said that once you got to Benfica, you were literally a shot stopper when you got there, you did not understand how to stay organized with your back line and how to yeah. actually play possession up oh, hold on we got a special guest joining us right here as uh as we're hopping in right here let's see what's uh oh look at this dude <laughs> there we go i'm in what's up guys so, TJ. Background. hey how you doing <laughs> good to see you good to see you guys too sorry i'm late yeah i finished up a camp but uh where, where were we sorry mike no, it's all good. It's all good, dude. We were just uh, we were just talking about how the fact that like CJ was like a, a brilliant number ten at like ten years old, and he was like training. He's like training goalkeeper on the side on the sidelines, and how like his U ten keeper must have just been like, that's not fair, dude. That's not fair. This guy's clearly <laughs> gonna be the keeper in like a year. Yeah, no, most I think I've, what I've been hearing is that most teams will have to, uh, a rotation of keepers. I think here in the states too. Most coaches are allowing their players to play one half or, you know, play a quarter of the game and then they go out to the field. So building up the, uh, I guess, the, you know, the foot speed and the foot uh, IQ. Yeah, that's always yeah. important because I would always play on the field and majority of the games. And if it was a big game, like a championship match, then I would go and goal, you know. No, I mean, I, that, that, that I see right there is actually really, really good because I think one of the things that we've really discussed on this show here is that you need to have played those positions to have empathy for those players so you know what they're going through. So then that way, yeah. you know how to organize them. It's like, dude, I've been where you've been before. Like, it's not like I'm just some random dude off concept that's going like, hey, slide right. Like, I've been in your position before, and that's why I know that you need to slide right like that. So let's kind of dig into like kind of this topic right here today, guys. Like today's topic is defending the area kind of behind the back line. So CJ, for maybe some parents out there who are listening or like younger goalkeepers that might not understand like this high level tactics that we're discussing, like what is in your mind the area directly behind the back line? So the way that we like to break down the zones, there are four different zones in terms of the space and and behind the back line. So it, we're basically a full unit. So it's not just 10, it's not just the back line and midfield and forwards, like we're all a unit. It's one team, it's one block going up and down. And the goalkeeper behind is also moving up and down. It's like a piece of the puzzle that kind of shifts up and down with the team. So that allows me to be a real feel part of the team. Um, that means that I have to be active with my feet, with my head. I have to constantly track what's happening in the game. So the four zones of the, the zonal spacing. So you have zone one, which is kind of on the six yard box, you know, a couple steps in front, a couple steps behind, more or less, not quite a shot stopping zone, but, you know, kind of dividing both. So there can be a ball clipped in behind, a through ball in behind, so you're close enough to the action where you can reduce the space and go for a one-on-one, -on -one, or you're close enough 
where one man beats the beats the defender and then you have to drop off and give your uh, give yourself a little bit more time to react and make the footwork and to make the save that's zone one zone two is the space in between the the six yard box and the penalty spot around that area kind of dividing the space few yards behind and few yards in front of the PK spot. So you're kind of dividing that space in there. Zone three is around the 18 yard box, you know, a little bit further up. Um, not quite a set piece on the, on the other side, not quite an attacking opportunity on the other side of the pitch. Kind of more like a, a build up space where the, where the opposing team is kind of shifting forward, shifting forward, and you have to kind of go in between the back zones. The fourth zone, which is the final zone, it's outside of the outside of the area so that's when it's a corner kick on the other side or when it's a six yard kick on the other side and you really have to push forward and to really accompany the space in between the the 18 yard box and the midfield line dude you're 19 years old are you kidding me like straight up dude straight up when i was 19 years old and playing in college like i there's no way I could have eloquently have described all of that like there. I had no idea what any of that was. Like, do, do, you, like, do you realize how advanced – I mean, shout out to Benfica. I know it's a goalkeeping factory, and I know they, they develop the highest level goalkeepers, dude. But, I mean, just the fact that you just were able to just break that down like that on the show at 19 years of age in front of Omar Zini, known as Pro GK Academy. <laughs> I mean – that dude, that just shows just the, the level of intellect, goalkeeping IQ you got, dude. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate. No, that. dude. I mean, just get started. I can go on for another half hour if you guys want me to. Oh, don't oh, worry. We'll, we'll have you. We'll have you going. We got about forty-five more minutes, so we'll keep you going for the forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Omar, I kind of want to want to bring that up with you right there because uh, this is something that's extremely, extremely important. Is is breaking down those zones and. I love what CJ, what you said in regards to it's a full unit because I think a lot of times is that when goalkeeper coaches break down the zones, they act like they're individual areas as opposed to part of the entire play. And the, th the great thing about you guys at Benfica, you know, and, and, and we'll let you get more in, into it, is that you, um, because you play a high line, you recognize it all as, as one area, even though you understand the differences in retreat into the different zones and, and the advancements in, into the other zones. Um, Omar, I know you've had difficulties with this at, at the college level sometimes in regards to how coaches have wanted to play. Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, building off what CJ said, I think with some goal, young goalkeepers, they sometimes take that as an absolute, like, okay, the ball's coming into zone one, that has to be yours. And then the ball doesn't go and it's, it's like falls in between zone two and zone one they have like this limitation in their mind of like, well, coach said zone one is my ball. So zone two and I can't, I'm not supposed to come and get where it's like, no, it's supposed to be a fluid motion where you're supposed to, you know, be able to break the barriers and go from zone one, zone two. And then if the ball pops out to zone three, then you're also going to be at, you know, asked to cover that space as well. So I think, again, it's just that fluid, I guess, whether Mike, you know, sometimes you say that the communication based on the age groups that we're speaking to, sometimes we have to use certain vocabulary that doesn't allow them to have limitations in their head. Where like we talked about with crosses sometimes, I told Mike that I like to use the word pause a lot. And he was like, well, ideally, maybe the word delay is a little bit more ideal for these young goalkeepers. So I was like, okay. So I started using delay and I started seeing a lot more of my goalkeepers responding well to it. So I think with different zones, it's, with different zones, it's super important to uh, first and foremost, have the goalkeepers understand that it's not one and that's it. It's one, two, three, four. You got to cover all, all four. And then when it's in the, the fourth zone, you also have to be mentally engaged as well. Um, so yeah, back to your point, Mike. I think, you know, 
there are certain coaches who like to play a certain style, you know, style of play. And, you know, they don't like having the goalkeepers be too involved with their feet because at Cal State LA, it's the school that I'm at, we're far superior than some teams. So having our goalkeeper have the ball at his feet sometimes or trying to get pass backs from, you know, the corner of the 18 leaves a goal exposed, which gives the opposing team who's not as good as us the opportunity to maybe get a lucky goal and then sit back on us. So, you know, I try to teach the basic concepts of that. And we always kind of revisit it in training sessions where, you know, showing as an option or, you know, playing in a higher line just in case that ball comes over the top. But again, it all kind of, it all depends independent on who we play against in the scouting report. But I think in every session, we try to at least throw some of those, uh, some of those, I guess, plays and those pictures in for our goalkeepers just so that they're always on the front foot and ready to, to pounce on those balls that come into, I guess, zone two or zone three. Yeah, no, I, I, dude, I think you, you brought up a really good point in, in regards to that right there. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, CJ, one of the things I want to bring up with you is that when Omar was just saying in regards to how, how they play and that, you know, you have to recognize that you have to be able to cover all those different areas. One thing I've always been stressing is that is that just because you're playing behind the back line doesn't always necessarily mean that you're in a high position, right? It all, it's all based on where your back line is, how deep you can play, right? Yeah. It all depends on, it all depends on where the ball is, where the defensive line are and the options that, that the man on the ball has. So depending on if the ball is covered or uncovered, if the ball is covered, it's more difficult to play that ball in behind. So you can kind of, take a second break I could I guess you could say you could kind of like lean back and just like take a look at the whole picture and kind of see what the options are but when the ball is uncovered when the center back has a space to to reduce the space into the midfield space then that's when you need to recognize that it's a lot easier for him to play a ball in behind so when the ball is uncovered naturally the back line would drop back because it's easier to play that ball in behind or we maintain the line and I actually have to be more ready when that ball is uncovered. And it also helps to, to recognize what the forwards are doing, whether there's a running behind from the striker, from the two wingers, from the number 10 that's making a running behind. So it all depends on, on those three factors, basically. CJ, I got a question for you. Why, why does Benefica historically play a high line? Because for decades, if not more than a century, they've been the superior team. Majority of the time, they have been a superior team from the academy up to the first team. So they want to score as many goals as possible. They want to press as high as possible. They want to win the ball back as quickly as possible. And they want to be as close to the opposing goal as much as possible during the game. So that means that on an quote-unquote inferior team, the back line will drop back basically right in front of the the 18 yard box and they will close the middle they will close compact every bit of the way so they can't play through you so they kind of wait wait shift shift close all the angles and then they wait for us to make a mistake and then they try to pounce on that and they try to counter tag them behind so that means that there are some games where we will be possessing the ball for a good four minutes straight and then our center backs would be past the, the opposite semicircle of the midfield line. They would be that aggressive and that high up. So that means that I have to be just as high, just as aggressive, so I can pounce on the ball if there's a counterattack, if there's a quick ball in behind, because that's where we're susceptible at, are those balls in behind. So that means that I would have to be 
ready for that and, you know, high enough so where I can anticipate that and I can really be in a good position to win that ball. Yeah. Omar, I got a question for you. Like, because I mean, personally, I'm, I'm thinking unless your team is playing this style and you're used to playing in a system like this, how difficult is it for a goalkeeper to start playing in a system like this when they've never been in it, in it before because those instincts aren't there? I think it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely difficult, but I think if, uh, if given the amount of time, you know, through trial and error, and I think coaches uh, give them the space and the patience to make those mistakes, I think over, over time, they start getting more comfortable with their instinctual decisions. And then from there, they're going to take higher lines. And I think, uh, like you said, Mike, earlier about playing different position and, and different positions and understanding what those positions look like. I've played center back in training sessions sometimes. And when I have the ball at my feet and I have no pressure, for sure, I'm taking my touches and I'm looking for that long ball over the top to dump it in. So when I've, whenever I've played against goalkeepers who, I guess, paint a picture for me, like we do on crosses, you know, sometimes like you're probably not going to go out to the PK spot, but maybe setting a little higher can influence the server because they see, oh, CJ's on top of the six. I should probably steer this ball away from him because I don't want a lollipop ball to the keeper. I don't want to be yelled at by the coach. So I'm going to probably try and steer it away. So as goalkeepers, can we influence the game without even necessarily being a part of it with our positioning? And I think the only way you can really get to that point of confidence, I guess, is to have that patience from the coaching staff to say, look, you're probably going to make a few mistakes as a young goalkeeper out there where you're cheating off your line and they might, you know, just chip a ball over the top or they may, you know, chip a ball over the top and you may not get there. You may be a second late. Okay. You're going to make those mistakes. I get it, but let it be just like what Pep Guardiola does with Ederson. Ederson against, I think it was Bournemouth. He gave that pass to, uh, I forgot who it was. They countered it right away. They chipped him from like half field. And every person in the comment section was like, Pep's probably telling Ederson that was exactly what he wanted him to do. He's probably yelling at the defender, the midfielder for not controlling that ball. So that's what I'm saying though, is like giving the goalkeeper the confidence that that selection of play, that style of play is going to be warranted and, and it's going to be appreciated, even though there are going to be some times where you're going to make a mistake or two. You brought up a really good point in regards to the starting position. And uh, CJ, if you, you don't mind us indulging in some of your highlights right here, I want to bring up, don't get too excited. It's not the most exciting highlight in the world. It's just a possession based on playing enough, in a high line right here. But, uh, but I, want, I want you to kind of break this down for, for the audience right here because this shows basically your guy's basic shape and where, look, look how high he is right here. In this position yeah, right here. That, that's what the coaches, what my coach on the under 23s at that time, um, this was in December, December 18th against Cover the Pidad. I remember this game very, very well. Um, so, yeah, this game started off in this shape. So they were already dropped back. Um, they had changed their tactics from the first time we played them. The first time we played them, they actually pressed us a little bit higher up on the field. Um, but at home, when we play at home, when we play on campus, it's a lot easier for us because the pitch is bigger. The pitch is, is well, a lot more quality than their home pitch. So um, we can get away with uh, this type of possession. So if you just just look at where the two center backs are, look at where the two fullbacks are, look how, look how deep where the number nine is. Um, so they always, in training, they actually tell me to be higher up. To be fair, I should be wait higher, higher, higher than now. higher than this. Yeah, yeah. Because if what you, you look, what do you what do you center mid like? No, no, no. Let me just break this down. Let me just break okay. this down. Because if I, you see, you see the two center backs and the number six. And if I'm right there, yeah. if I'm higher up, that creates a four v two situation, which then would have to drop back their ten, which creates a three v two in the midfield behind there. So if I play to the center back, he turns, he commits the forward. That's a three v two, and he can play. Pause it right there. Pause it right there. Yep. 
if he commits the center back, he can commit him. The number eight pops off into the space right in behind that, the right behind the striker. He's wide open, turns, plays the ball in behind to the striker, to the winger. He's away. If that's not open, if the opposite eight or the six comes in and marks that man, he has the outside and it's a three v two on the outside. So it's all about creating numbers, and I'm a part of that number. Um, Dude, I, so in training, we play this game, but a lot tighter. So it's 4v2, so, and you just have to keep going up, keep going up, commit them, commit them, wait for them to make that decision, and then play the, play the ball that's open. I noticed that you're, drawing, you're, drawing, you're trying to draw them in to open up that numbers, yeah, that numbers exactly, up situation, exactly. basically. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. It. Omar, anything you want to add to that? Uh, I think, you know, I think the, the biggest thing too in, in situations like that is is just having the patience and discipline to play what's on. I think too many times young goalkeepers get impatient because, you know, it's like stagnant or the coaches get impatient where the game plan's not working and they're saying, hey, you know, find that entry pass or skip that pass. And where it might not players be... players are getting impatient. And exactly, yeah. And that influences the goalkeepers a lot. It's like, play, play, play. And then they have a man on their back and they're like, no, I'm not going to play the ball there. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, and that's, and that's where, obviously, you want to create imbalances, but at the same time, the whole team has to be on the same page. And, Mike, we talked about this last time with playing out of the back. The whole team has to be on the same page. You can't have half the team showing and the strikers staying up in the other half the field, not trying to connect and create those passing lanes. So I think, again, it's super important from the start, to the, uh, start of the game that, um, I mean, I, I'll bring this up with you, CJ, I'm sure. I mean, I had, I had a teammate of mine who was my left back. He told me the first 10 minutes of every game he never wanted to see the ball. He never wanted me to roll the ball to him because he was so nervous. This is like we're 13 to 17 years old. So never wanted to get the ball. So I always played out of the right channel the first half. And then obviously, again, that created an imbalance. We're like, hey, the scouting report's showing everything going down the right. And then all of a sudden, the 15th minute, we go down the left. And everybody knows that now because our whole team was like, yeah, Joe doesn't want the ball the first 10, 15 minutes. We're going to go down that side later on in the game. But again, creating those imbalances, but having the team on the same page is just as important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's such a good good point right there. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact is like, dude, CJ, I love what you said about like, you know, players get impatient and they have to recognize that like you can scan the field so much better than they can. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're in a passive position where you're not actually involved in the actual play at the moment. And, and, and you brought up such a really, really good point that I really want to stress with you and talk to you about is the fact that the off the ball movement of the goalkeeper and how you move with your line determines and dictates how the other team is going to play against your team, right? So, so kind of elaborate on that. Are you talking offensively or defensively? When we have the I'm ball, talking about defen- I'm talking about I'm talking about defense. I'm talking about defensively because I think this okay. is another thing that's also not brought up enough. And we talked about this, I know, yesterday a little bit over DM is like so many people focus on high line possession play, but they don't focus on when we lose the ball. How and and what's what's the thing, first thing that a youth player does when they lose the ball? They've run back backwards, right? They just run backwards, right? They're Omar Zini, a 10-years-old, running back, hoping that he can get a punch on that ball, <laughs> failing over him, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, there, you want me to elaborate? or do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Do, do it, dude. So there are two sides of the coin. So one side is offensively, you know, playing how, how that clip was entailed when you don't have the pressure, kind of take the ball up take the space and kind of wait for the midfielders to create that space. And you can make that decision based on the, based on the forwards. And on the other side of that coin is defensively when we do lose the ball, um, 
So Johan Cruyff uh, said it perfectly in the Ajax system when he was growing up and when he was a coach, you know, they want to win the ball as quickly as possible. Um, when you lose the ball, five seconds, quick, get the ball as quickly as possible so then we can regain possession and go after goal. It's the same, it's the same dynamic that we try to encourage with all the players and with the exercises. So when I'm involved, which I am all the 90 plus minutes of the game, uh, when we're in the, the defensive side of things, when we lose the ball, it's almost that you kind of have to re-engage and kind of read quickly and kind of see what the options are. If their back is to me, if they're facing me, if they have pressure on, if they don't have pressure on, there are a lot of, there are a few factors I have to um, take into account in a couple seconds when we do lose that ball. So I think it's always important to take that first step forward. Um, even if it's just like a little step forward, half, half a step just to like lean forward and kind of get re-engaged into the defensive shape. Sorry, this taking out the trash. <laughs> I was wondering what that sound, I was wondering what that sound was. I was like, wait, I was like, that a fan? Suppos what is that exactly? Suppo supposedly they want to take out the recycling at, what is it, 9.30 at night? <laughs> Anyways, it's almost, it, oh, what was I saying? It's almost like you want to get on to the front foot, not being on the back heels, kind of getting up on your toes and just being ready to, to really take that step forward and to make an explosive run forward if you need to. And you, it's always easy to go back. You can always go back. That's the easiest part of the game. You can always take a step back and you can go five steps back and you can go all the way back to your line if you need to. But the hardest thing is always reading the game and then taking those steps forward. No, no, what I like, uh, uh, just hearing you talk, CJ, I think the best thing is, you know, when a coach or a style of play is understandable and, and it makes sense and it's digestible for the players. And it looks like to me, even when Mike was saying, you know, why would they tell you to start higher? You're like, well, I, because we're going to create a 4v2 situation. So your understanding of why you're doing something is just as important as you doing it. And I think a lot of young kids out there, again, they're, they're being told, hey, we want to play like Barcelona. We want to play like Benfica. We want to play very, very, you know, possession style of play. But a lot of the kids don't understand the perks and the benefits. And a lot of coaches don't know how to teach that. They don't know how to say, hey, we're going to try to create an imbalance so that if this person's not on, then that, that channel's on. You know what I mean? So like bringing the eight in so that the channel and behind is open for our, you know, our, our 10 over here. So it's like understanding, I think the coaching aspect is just as important as the players, you know, digesting it and comprehending it. And it seems like they're doing a good job over there. Yeah, I mean, dude, one I'm, of the things, the, the under 19 coach, he's on the B team coach right now, not by the Pep Guardiola like, and he's always encouraging, you know, be a part of the team, take those steps forward. And if you mess up, keep trying. It's okay. Just, you know, we, this is the way that I want to, he always says, this is the way that I want to play and we're going to play the style that I want. I don't care if we concede four goals as long as we make five or six. We always want to take those steps forward and not to be on the back foot and always to take those steps forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, cut you No, no, no. I, I want to bring this up right here. I want to bring up this, this play right here, CJ, with you um, because uh, this, is a, uh, this is a play where it's kind of that, like, the confidence that you need in order to stay in that high position and still have that retreat, but understand like when to like how far to retreat and how far not to retreat because mm -hmm. Jason Longrod brought up a thing right here and, and he wants to, you know, us to kind of get into like what session designs you would do in order to kind of work on dealing with the through balls right here. So I'm going to play this clip right here real quick. And uh, if you can kind of break this down for us right here, um, basically what happens here, 
I'll play that first. So here's that through ball coming in. You're still staying in that high position right here, right? Yeah. Uh, I, re- yeah. I recognize this one. Yeah. Yeah. So as that ball's coming in, obviously your state, you stayed in that high position. You didn't retreat. Instead, you attacked. You know, you came and put immediate pressure on the ball. And first off, I don't think that's a yellow card. I think that, uh, I think that's a trash call. I don't think that was a yellow card uh, for you. I think, uh, I think it was clean right there. Um, but, uh, but you did, you did your thing. And that guy, he's, you know, I think he's exaggerating a little bit right there, but that's just me. So, um, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of break this down starting from, from the very beginning, uh, a portion of it right here. So ball comes in, I'm going to freeze it right here. Okay. The ball ball is uncovered. So we immediately drop off. And my initial reaction was to drop off, drop off as well, which if you, rewind a little bit you can see that I'm already inside the box and I should be a little bit higher off my line um or I immediately dropped off and I'm not as high as I should be um and I just misread the the through ball I mean that's the type of play that I want to be but it's a little bit it's outside of where I can make a play and I didn't realize that my right center back is pacey so he could have gotten that regardless and you know, and my right back could have gone inside and to uh, cover his space. But I tried to make a play. Unfortunately, uh, it's a bit outside of my reach. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just misread the whole situation. I could have been a little bit higher up. Um, it's a bit outside of my reach, outside of the box. I kind of want to maintain a little bit of my range inside the, the penalty area. Um, yeah, but I, in my opinion, I think it was a foul. I think it was. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Be fair on this one. Um, I will say this, dude. I, I love the humility in you right there and willing to admit to it that like, you know, maybe I should have been, I should have been in a higher position so that this didn't happen. And I should have trusted my back to get yeah. to that ball. But once you called for it, you had to go because yeah, he was, yeah. was going to drop. This point, by this point, I had to go with everything. And yeah. my center back actually told me like, yeah, I could have gotten to that one. He's like, yeah, my fault, my fault. I, Cause I, I tried to make a play out of it. And um, by this point, I just had to go with everything and just hope for the best, you know? Yeah. It's just one of those plays. Now, Omar, if, you, if CJ was one of your keepers, how would you break this down? And, what, and what, what, what coaching pointers would you give him right here? Let's see what you can do. No, no. I think, again, uh, the first question I probably would have asked is just like, you know, what were you thinking in that play? And, and you know, kind of break, you know, break it down for me and take me through what you were thinking. And CJ just did that for me. So I think, you know, hearing what he had to say, I think, um, again, his thought process is like very accurate to their style of play where it's like, yeah, you know, it's probably a ball I probably could have just held off on. But at the same time, too, we talk about trial and error and being patient with our goalkeepers. And I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I, you know, wasn't, if I came a, CJ and said, Hey, what are you doing there? Like, we don't want you to do that. Or you, you made the wrong decision. You know, we're going to sit you or, you know, I, I don't want to reprimand somebody for going off their instinct because the last thing you want to do is criticize somebody for that. And the next time they're out there, it may be a ball they need to come for, but Oh shoot. Coach Omar told me not to come for this. And if I did again, then yeah, I'd probably be on the yeah. bench. So again, the last thing you want to do is as a coach, you need to be consistent. So my style of play and the way I like to play was with freedom and, and just allowed myself to just free flow. And the last thing, and Mike, you told me this again, is like when I, some of my sessions, I kind of stop things too much on the first rep instead of maybe stopping it on the sixth rep where some goalkeepers on the first two or three, they're just finding their rhythm. So watching this footage, I'd say, you know, Hey, what could you do? What could you have done better? Okay, great. No worries. Next practice, I'll probably paint a few pictures for you and we can try and, you know, dial that in and make sure you, uh, you know, create the proper 
I guess, decision-making in those, you know, quick to, uh, decision moments. But I wouldn't be upset with them. I said, look, you went off your instinct. We didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't score. But maybe next time, you know, maybe you start a little bit higher. You start, you know, you track to play a little bit more. So you're actually on that side where that ball may be coming from. So you have a better starting position. So that's what I would say. It's trying to be consistent as a coach so that you're not, you know, yelling at him for, for not doing it. And then when he doesn't do it, you're yelling at him, why didn't you do it, you know? The reason I wanted to bring up that clip right there, and CJ, thank you for, for being open uh, about it too. Uh, I was a little worried that you were going to be like, oh, dude, why are you playing this one where I got a card and everything like no, that? No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I've, watched, I've watched that clip uh, quite a few times, actually, with my goalkeeper <laughs> coach and individually. So I've had some time to, to break it down a little bit. But I wanted, because I wanted all the young goalkeepers out there to, sh- to see how they allow you at Benfica to take those types of risks and learn from those mistakes. That's the whole reason there's a 19s team and a 23s team and all of that is because they want you to be put in those scenarios in high level competition so that when you do get to the first team, you're able to handle it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, by that from the under 12s up to the first team, we all have the a similar type of style of play. So um it's always encouraged from the bottom to the top. So we, we try to keep the same system from every age group. So it's, re- it's really important to have that type of consistency from all levels, from the coordinators at the top to the under nines at the coaching staff is at, at the bottom of the, of the academy system. So, yeah, it's really important to have those. No, I think, again, it, it's, it's something I harp on a lot for young goalkeepers. And, you know, young kids ask me, hey, what could I do better and what could I improve on? It's like, well, you know, when you're sending me your clips on Instagram and, and you know, you're not being self-critical about your own clips, that's kind of alarming to me. Like, I really do want young goalkeepers, even watching CJ's clip right there, maybe the next time I step on the field, I kind of am in that same situation where CJ just mentioned maybe he could have started a little bit, you know, more to the right or he could have tracked the play a little bit better. Maybe in my head, as that same play is developing, I'm cheating a little bit more to my right because like, okay, that ball's coming on the left channel or the right channel in this case. And maybe I should probably cheat a little bit more or at least have my legs in a position where if that ball does come, I have a straight path to it versus being completely square and then having opened my hip and then come across. So now I'm, I'm processing things that I wasn't even a part of so that the next play that I do see and it does play out the, uh, the same way, I have a, like a leg up or I guess I've already seen the play in my head before that I can come and collect. Or maybe my positioning was good but that was a ball that kind of died because the grass wasn't water before the game. The ball slowed down and maybe I can retreat to my goal, but at least I'm giving myself options with my uh, initial starting point. I, I, I want to talk about this with you, CJ, is that, you know, obviously you grew up in, in the U S system before you went over to, to Benfica. Was that, was that, that type of vertical integration from like the, like 10 years old all the way up to the first team, was that really foreign to you? And was it kind of like playing catch up a little bit? So in terms of what my transition here at Benfica? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from like, so because like I know that you played at, you played at Delco and then you played at Union DA for a little bit, right? Before, mm-hmm. before you come, came over. So you never really had like a system where like you came through an academy all the way up and then you kind of moved into a youth academy at the higher ages when a lot of those kids had already been there at like 10, mm-hmm. 11 years old. And so like that was that first year kind of like, I don't want to say a struggle, but a transitional phase for you where like coaches had to be a little bit more patient with you. And like what I'm basically trying to get to is like for a lot of young goalkeeper coaches out there is to like be patient with players that come into a new environment. No, nah, it was a struggle. No, nah, I'm going to be honest. It was, a, it was a struggle trying to make that transition um, from the U.S. To, to Portugal. It was a struggle to, you know, keep a high quality and to keep a high 
standard for myself so I can keep up with the people around me and with the coaching staff and with the players around me because these are the top talented players in not just in Portugal but in Europe and the world so um, just trying to compete with them on a daily basis was a struggle um, that first year was really difficult not just with the transition from you know being away from home but in from a personal life it was a struggle but in terms of football it was it was an adapting period that first year was I didn't play a lot I trained a lot I trained twice twice a day morning with the under 19s afternoon with the 17s and I would go to the and they had me on a gym program almost every day five times a week so it was a strenuous grind but that first year I had to be patient with myself and the coaching staff had to be patient with my with with me as well um because the first year is always the most difficult um but once I got into the second year I had a little bit more experience um just had to continue taking those steps forward and by year three that's when my confidence started to grow a lot that's when I got consistent games and that's when I was really feeling good about how I was uh, performing as a as a player so that first year was very very difficult you know, one of the reasons I bring that up is because Omar, you know, am are we allowed to introduce this yet? Uh, the the uh, the the upcoming program, the coaches program, or yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. So Omar's got this uh, mentoring program uh, that he's got for players going on right now, but now he's got one going on for coaches. And I think one thing to hear your side of that story right there, CJ, I think kind of ties into the thing that that Omar's trying to do. In in which case, you know, coaches a lot of times need to understand where players are coming from. And that's so much of coaching as well, too. And I think one of the reasons why you guys do such a great job over at Benfica with, with people like yourself is because they allow you that opportunity to grow before making a decision or writing anybody off, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the just ba- based on the psychology of a player, getting the confidence from the coaching staff and the, from the players around you is super, super important. Um, that's what really helped me and what I tried to do with new players coming into the coming into the program as well, just giving them the benefit of the doubt and giving them time to to adjust and to, you know, take a, take one step back to take two steps forward, I guess. Yeah. So it's really important well, to give that type of patience. I mean, that's awesome that you as yourself personally, you know, give that back to the, the younger guys and everything like that. Like I know, you know, one thing that you had mentioned um, and then we'll get back to the topic, but I just, I just think this is fascinating right here is that, you know, you looked up to Oblak and Ederson for two different, very, very different reasons, two very different goalkeepers, obviously who had come, come through systems um, like that, you know, how important has that been for somebody like yourself on the, on the 23s or when you were playing with the 19s to, you know, take a kid who's like 14 or 12 or whatever and be like, Hey man, I, I remember what it was like to be in your position and, you know, understand that we're, we're all here for you too. So it's not necessarily with the younger guys cause we're not in the same schedule. So they train in the afternoon and we train in the morning. So I don't really okay. get to see them as often, but I try to help the, the foreign players that come from, you know, from, Poland that comes from France. I, I, my, my old roommate was from France, you know, a uh, player from, oh, where was he from? Uh, Croatia, Hungary, just players from all over Europe. And we're all in the same, we're all in the same group. We're all in the same situation here where we kind of need to be there for each other and kind of help each other out. Um, and just trying to, you know, make a joke. And we all speak English, you know, in a for, foreign country where 
we all don't speak the same language, but we all speak English um, more, uh, some more than others, but we all try to stick together and try to help, uh, really help each other out in that aspect. Yeah. Um, I want to move back into the topic right here um, because, you know, one of the things that we've been discussing with, with a lot of people here um, is in order to defend an area properly um, at every high level pro that we've been talking to, it's all about the anticipation. It's not over anticipating, but it's about the anticipation. And, you know, one thing that Suskio always really stresses is that like, if you're organizing in the middle of the play, then you're too late already. Um, Mm. How important is that organization off the ball to defending that area for you? It kind of makes my job a lot easier. Um, so if, if we have the ball in the attacking third and we're about to have a goal-scoring opportunity, it actually makes my job a lot easier to have my center back shift in, have, my, have the opposite fullback to shift in as well, just so if there's one striker back, making sure that there are two back always to one in front, one in back, or one side by side just so we have the numbers up if they're two back making sure that the opposite fullback comes inside just so we have the numbers and that we have the advantage on a on a counterattack. um and it makes my job easier to um to read the play and to know that we have that number advantage going backwards but sometimes things happen and you know one player gets drawn out and then they play a ball in behind so it's always about being a couple steps, a uh, couple steps ahead of the play, and just being able to read what could happen, and just being prepared for the worst, basically. Omar, as a goalkeeper coach, can we work? Can we train this in isolation, or is this something that you have to do with the team? I think it's a language that you build within the team. I think uh, uh, as a goalkeeper, obviously, you said like split second. Oh, did I freeze? You froze oh, for a second, but, but, you're, but you're back. <laughs> you're, you're back, dude. You're making these faces. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'll try to keep it cute so that if it does freeze, it's on a cute face. Uh, but no, I think, <laughs> I think, um, no, I think it's it developing that language within the, uh, the back four and the goalkeeper, maybe even the back six, where you can use quick and concise. Mike, what's, your, what's your point? The quick and concise and direct? or Clear, concise, and uh, CCD, clear, concise, direct. CC, yeah. CCD, yeah. clear, concise, and direct communication where... It is that preventative communication so that you can say something that's happening as it's happening or maybe slightly before as you're seeing it, but using words and phrases that the player can easily refer to and understand what's happening behind them without having to look. And I think that's our job is to make the, the jobs easier for our center backs, anybody who can't see what we're seeing. And I think it's not done in isolation, but I think maybe off the field or during sessions where you guys are playing those live games and the communication may not be as clear and concise and direct as the, goal, as the goalkeeper and the center back want to hear. So making sure we have those trigger words that, I mean, for me, it was always like, you know, shoulder, left shoulder, right shoulder, right away the guy knew exactly where the runners are coming from. And we'd watch it on film and I'd said, hey, you know, Ramon, who's our center back, I said, Ramon, look, when I say left shoulder, I mean that the guy's running in behind the center back. He's our left center back. I say that he's running in behind our right center back and you. So I mean left shoulder, meaning that that's where the channel that he's running towards. So he's like, oh, okay. I know. I did not know what that meant. So now instead of turning his head to the right, he's obviously turning his head to the left. So now he's not, you know, turning his shoulders the opposite way. He's going in the gradual progression with the rhythm of his body. So he doesn't have to waste that movement. And something as small as that can save you from him, you know, making an emergency slide tackle for a red card or him actually, you know, shielding the ball out getting the, you know, the, the forward on his back or playing me. 
So it's just those little trigger words that you can try and hopefully create in sessions. At the same time too, though, there's, there are those trial and error periods where the center back and the goalkeeper, they need to build their chemistry. And once they've built their chemistry, that's when you can have a little bit more consistency. Yeah. No, I mean, I, th- I think you brought up a really good point there in regards to like, you need to make sure that everyone understands what you are talking about. CJ, I don't know if you've ever had this situation before or seen it with younger goalkeepers, but they'll get frustrated because they're like, that dude, that's not what I wanted. But they never had that conversation with that outside back on like what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So like, do you guys at Benfica, do you guys have like specific wording um, that's kind of the Benfica system? Like this is how you say things or is it like in all individual between you guys? For starters, in terms of, kind of translating from English to Portuguese, I kind of had to find the sweet spot where it kind of made sense to them and where it didn't get lost in translation. So what I, what I used to do, like when there was a, a friendly match or a game in general, I would just watch my goalkeeper, the, the older goalkeeper that, that I was training with, and I would just listen to him. And that's how I learned the language basically on the pitch. And that's how I learned what can I say um, in order to, you know, make a good situation happen instead of a negative, a negative situation happening based on miscommunication or bad communication or lack thereof. Um, so I think it, it, everybody understands what I'm saying and everybody uh, understands that, you know, before, before the, before a game happens, like, all right, what are some key words that you want us to say is like, guy on your back, you know, guy left, guy right. Um, you know, little quick notes, like when the ball is out of play, it's like, all right, just be aware of on, on the counterattack, make sure that one's in front, one's in behind, just so that we're all on, on, all on the same page. So you, the worst part is for me was just the, the translation. Yeah. Well, no, I figured, and that's why I'm figuring probably, and I, you, I always tell kids this is like learn hand gestures yeah. because hand gestures are universal, you know? Um, and it's always so funny when I'm talking like an eight or nine year old, they're like, yeah, because when I play for Juventus one day, I'm like, exactly. When you play for Juventus one day. That's, uh, that's what, that's going to be the least of it. That's going to be the least of your concerns. Um, by the way, we just, uh, we just had a comment, uh, right here that says CJ is an intellectual goalkeeper more than a shot stopper hundred. So, and, uh, I'm not going to say whose last name that is right there. In, uh, I already know who that was. I can already <laughs> tell by the emoji at the end. I already know who that was. <laughs> Um, we, uh, we have a question right here, um, from, uh, from Stan Anderson, shout out to Stan Anderson camp shout out. Thank you for this lovely Jersey right here. And he goes regarding communication, how important is changing your inflection to express one situation more urgent than another? I think it's just the projection of the voice, you know, when, when we have the ball and it's kind of just like advice, like, all right, just step forward, guy left shoulder, guy right shoulder. But if it's something urgent, kind of projecting your voice and, you know, emphasizing the urgency and really and even if you have to no offense but some guys uh, uh work better with negative reinforcement and like a little curse word here and there would you know a little sprinkled in in, in the <laughs> in the statement wouldn't hurt um, just a little sprinkle yeah just just a little sprinkle you know um but yeah just just, just enough urgency in the voice and really getting the booming voice and you know really making sure like even if you have to say them by name Usually it's by name because if you get the first and middle name in there, then they kind of kind of freeze in there. So you get the first and last name in there as well. They kind of freeze in there. So it's just about, you know, booming. It's like, you're a, it's like you're a mom, first and last yeah, name. Yeah. Dude. 
there, there's a great clip of uh, Joe Hart when he was at um uh, at Man City back in 2015, where he would yell out Mangala's voice and expletive at the end as well. So it, it's all about being urgent and you know saying names and you know saying whatever you need to to get inside of their head, basically. No, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. I think also too. I mean, I've had players who would you know tell me off the field like hey look you're embarrassing me by yelling at me my my girlfriend my friends are in the stands like keep it keep it more low-key bro yeah like i'm like look (laughs) no but i'm like no i felt it i'm like bro if if this is going to hinder you and distract you from being like you know from actually being the best version of yourself like you said sprinkling a negative some negative reinforcement here and there is is also good for the personality and the person you're dealing with but some people have Yeah, you know, everyone has their way of, like, they like to be spoken to a certain way. That's why coaches, you know, you should be very skillful in the way that you approach every goalkeeper. Obviously, the group, you talk to everybody the same way, you know, respect factor and making sure everyone's coming, uh, you know, with discipline and, and coming to work to better themselves and better the group. But at the same time, there's so many personalities that are different within the group that you have to t- attend to. And I think that's also a skill set as a goalkeeper and a goalkeeper coach is finding the right way to vocalize and verbalize those coaching points. But at the same time, too, making sure that, like you said, certain people like things said a certain way and to get the best out of them so it's not going out one year in one year out the other. That's the way we have to approach it. And that's one thing my, my coach at Cal State LA, you know, is a really good coach and, and a mentor to me. He mentioned, like, you need to have in, in your back pocket you need to be able to resort to uh, what's what we're looking for as a coach. You need to be able to resort to a Come different on, dude, change Omar, of voice. Communication. You need to be able to be specific <laughs> and clear and concise. Yes, but no, like you need you need to be able to like hold on to that extra voice. You're not always shouting and always trying to preach to everybody. You need to have that voice in your back pocket so that if you know the kids are slacking off or your defenders aren't having a, a good game, when that voice comes out, your team knows. Oh crap. He is, he's serious because I've seen young goalkeepers who use that voice 24 seven and consistently use it and harp on it. And their players are just like, dude, shut up. Like, we're not going to listen to you anymore. And when you actually have a good point, they're going to be completely disregarding you. It's a boy who cried wolf. You know what I mean? You're, You're constantly saying the same things over and over and over. And those situations don't warrant it. But when the situation warrants it, and then you use that, you know, that verb, uh, terminology or verbiage, People are like, no, nah, we're not. We're not having that anymore. There needs to be a consistency. There needs to be a good ebb and flow. So that's what, to everyone's point, I think, again, understanding who you're dealing with first and foremost. And once you understand that, then you can have the ability to effectively communicate with your players. I think that was one of the biggest adjustments for me uh, because I, I was somebody because of my size that I would try to uh, – so here, when I tried to play pro, right? Like I thought like, like when I first tried to play pro that I had to present myself in a certain, you know, certain, certain uh, motif or, or arrogance or, or, or demeanor or whatever. And so I was trying to come off as like this big, like, well, not as big as I could get, um, presence <laughs> out, out there. And like, I'm just, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And like literally somebody just turned to me, he's like, he's like hey, he's, hey, dude, he's like, he's like, the reason, the, the fact that you, are acting like that makes me believe that you think this is a urgent situation. And if you think this is an urgent situation at this level, you're not going to be able to play at this level. And that scared me. Cause I was like, Oh, Oh my God. They're like, yeah, dude. They're like, we can handle this. Like if you don't think we can handle this, then you can't play at this level. And it, it totally made me completely change how I dictated and how I communicated. First off, it put me in my place um, and, uh, and, and I also recognized that, you know, you had to be true to yourself. And second of all, it made me recognize just like what Omar was saying about the boy who cried wolf. 
is that you have to recognize how urgent is this scenario really, really? Like, because do you, if you don't have the trust in your players to, to get out of certain situations, then they're not going to have trust. They're not going to have trust in you. CJ, is that something that you've, you know, you've kind of seen in your career too? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to actually comment on that thing. Like try to act like arrogant. Like I would go into a first team training session and try to, you know, be a presence, but it's kind of hard to be a presence when, you know, you're playing with Chinese league type players on your side. So <laughs> I think it's, it's all about staying true to who you are and not trying to change for the people around you, you know, having that inner swag, uh, just inside of you that you can't really manufacture, just being true to yourself and, you know, just doing you and not changing what you've been doing. Cause if you try to focus on something that you need to change within yourself, then you're not going to, you're going to be more focused on that than the task at hand. I just thought that if I was loud, they would think I was six foot five. Like they would just be like, Oh, well clearly this guy's very big. And then they turn around and they'd look at me and they'd be like, dude, I'm pretty sure that's like, that's coming from like a voiceover or something like that. There's no way that. No, I, that I agree with that. that. <laughs> Trying to go in and communicate and be like, Oh, this Academy kid's really aggressive. But I, I, I yeah, I just tried to be a presence and, you know, no, I think again, for even for myself growing up, I was very, you know, social. I always like to talk and sometimes I would talk a little too much and, you know, make the jokes that didn't need to be made. And as I've gotten older, I've realized as I'm sitting at tables and having conversations with people who are like yourself and who are high up in the game, quality over quantity is, is the most important thing. What you say, it's not about how much you say, it's what you say and the impact and substance that those words have means so much more. And I feel like, again, I, I use the Twitter method when I, whenever I play in goal nowadays is like in, when you tweet something, you only have certain amount of characters. So you weed out all the BS, you weed out all the stuff that doesn't need to be in there and you get straight to the point. And I use that Twitter method to my young kids. I say, look, when you tweet something, it's got to be short, concise, and it has to be a very, very substance oriented post. And if you don't want that, then, I mean, you're going to deal with people who don't, you know, who aren't going to respond to you and you're going to have to be okay with that. But if you really want to get someone's ear and have someone really respect what you say, the quality and substance in what you say needs to be obviously direct but at the same time too. It needs to be uh, short, concise and direct as Mike always says. No, but that, that's why Omar spends more time on Instagram than Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Cause I have more to say. I have more to say than under 40 characters. Um, I, I want to pull up this clip right now, CJ, with you, because uh, you, we've, been, we've been talking about how the Benfica system, the Benfica system, and like what it basically invites other teams to do, what they're tr you're trying to get them to do. So I kind of want to talk about like what the goalkeeper's responsibilities are in these types of situations. So I want to pull up this clip right here, um, and I'm going to play it real quick for everyone to kind of see where it comes from. So ball comes in into around the top of the 18. You're called into play. And you've got to be clear and you've got to be also relaxed in that situation, which a lot of goalkeepers would freak out in that situation. But look how relaxed you are. You're in a simple position where you're basically just trying to live another day, right? You're basically trying to redirect the ball yeah. so that there's no shot on angle, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, in that situation, yeah, it was just a lack of communication where I was still focusing on the flight of the ball and the trajectory of the ball and what, I, what type of distribution I need to do, whether that be just be a one touch out, whether I receive it, but it was just a matter of, you know, still trying to read the, read the flight of the ball and not communicating. In hindsight, afterwards, uh, I said to myself, maybe I just like be an option for my center back and just, um, just try to back off and create an option for him and then we play out and then I just get the ball out. Um, so, 
So these yeah. are some of the problems basically that you're going to run into trying trying to play this way. So Omar, how do you how do you how do you coach this? Again, like I said earlier, you got to give them the freedom to adjust. And again, watching the film is super important to get those mental reps. And like CJ just said, he probably could have done something differently. And again, when you have someone who's breaking down their own film and giving responses like that, me as a coach, I just step back and go, hey, I'm going to give you guidance. And if it happens again, it happens again. But I'm going to continue to give you guidance and let you be you. If we have a goalkeeper who can problem solve and, and solve their own issues, what, what am I? I mean, of course, if it's like a glaring issue, I have to step in. But who am I to, you know, try and change their perspective on that situation? Let them figure it out. And when we step into a game, or excuse me, let them figure it out. But then for me as a coach, my job is to create a session plan now to create those continue or those same pictures so that we can really try and fine tune the coaching points that CJ just made on himself. By the way, now, 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 now in order to make, go ahead, CJ. No, I was just going to say, um, it also depends on the player to make that adjustment because exactly. what's the saying? Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting, a different, expecting a different result. Expecting a different result. Yeah. So it's also, it's also based on the player trying to make that adjustment and to, my dad always used to say, make a mental recording of it, store it away and make sure it doesn't happen again. And many times in training and in, in games, other games similar to that ball, I would just drop off and create an option. There was a ball like that. What was that? Was it yesterday or two days ago? The same exact, basically the same exact ball. And I dropped off and I received the ball and then we played out of it. So it was just about making that adjustment and, really understanding what you need what you need in certain situations now we got to showcase cj in his finest right here so here comes his play we love this one. Oh, look at that top hand save <laughs> brilliant coming across like that i remember the um so i look kind of pissed what first of all i, re <laughs> I remember hearing the uh, the ball boy behind the goal it was like it's like holy what a save <laughs> in portuguese but the reason why i oh. i I that dude right there? Off. Yeah, this, the kid right behind, right behind the goal. He said, yeah. what a save. I looked pissed off in this moment because <laughs> for some reason, I felt that it was an easier ball than it was. I don't know why I thought it felt, it felt like an easy save. Not to sound arrogant. I don't mean to sound arrogant, but like I kind of exaggerated the save a little bit. I felt like I exaggerated the save a little bit. I was like, dang, I could have. I could have done something different with that ball. But looking back, like, wow. I was yeah, surprised that, it was to that point. Dude, the footwork was think, great there. The extension. Go ahead, Omar. No, I think even at the baseline core uh, foundation of that save is the exact same thing we've been talking about is as a goalkeeper, you got to stay locked into the game and then you're reading different patterns. When that ball gets played in like that, the guy's getting on his favorite right foot. You have a defender who's blocking the near post in the center of the goal. Most likely, if that guy's shooting the ball, he's going to curl his, you know, curl his body and shape his body in a way where that top hand save is, is going to be an option. And I like that approach by you. Is that kind of, oh God, am I, am I frozen again? No, you're back, dude. You're, you're okay, back. Okay, okay. No, but I get – so that's what I mean. It's just the, the foundation of you're always being locked into the game and reading the play and reading the patterns just like you would for a ball over the top. Same exact here with that guy shaping up to, the, to curl that to the top post. And I know someone of your standards, CJ, and, and playing at a club like you are, I think, again, like you said, it's at a good height where maybe you could have held on to that or maybe you could have just shifted your feet and caught it. And I think that that standard for yourself is, is, is key and huge. And I think it's going to keep you obviously moving in the right direction as you progress in your career. Dude, dude, honestly, it's one of those things that's like I've noticed is every high-level goalkeeper we've had on this show, whenever we've played any of their clips, they've never been satisfied. They've always said, you know what? I remember this movement. 
here's a, here's an adjustment I could have made. Here's a song. And I think that's honestly, CJ, what keeps you, that's how you, that's how you end up making. Cause you said how difficult it was that first year at Benfica, you know, but oh, that's how, but get, yeah, exactly, man. You know, um, you know, I mean, when you look up to guys like an Anderson or an old black and everything like that, you know, you've got to lead by example. You know, if you want to get to that level, like you've got to lead by example, what, what do they expect out of themselves, you know, at, at that level? And you've got to hold to yourself to kind of that standard. Um, I still thought it was an amazing, amazing. Set, so <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I had to show it. Um, let's talk about possession play, uh, when playing high. Um, here's one thing that I've noticed with a lot of young goalkeepers, CJ, and I don't know if you've noticed the same thing or, or Omar is that so many goalkeepers think that, Playing a high line is all about playing possession. And CJ, how often are they just like, play it back to me, play it back to me, blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, you don't need the ball at your feet in order to make a difference playing Statistic, high, right? Statistics show that 10 out of 10 players will scream for the ball when you have, when you have possession of it. And they're right in your face. They will yell, 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 play, 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 play. And then it's like, that's just not the best option we need right now. So it's like, it's, it's one of those things. So like, so how do we how do we as goalkeepers kind of explain that and kind of be like, you know, Hey, you need to, you need to widen right here. You need to, you need to pinch in right here in order for you to give me options. Or a lot of times is like, do you just kind of need to block all that out and just kind of be kind of in your own, I don't want to say in your own world because you want to be present and everything like that, but kind of have blinders on to, to what they're saying and scan the field and make your decisions based on what you're seeing rather than being influenced by others. So it's kind of like the quarter, quarterback position in American football. It's, it's based on you're able to read the coverages. You're able to read the defense. You're able to read where your players are. Um, and you have possession. Like you dictate the play in which where you can play the ball. So it's, it's always your decision. Um, and you have the right to make whatever decision you make. And if I make a bad decision, hey, that, that's on me. That's my loss. Um, but it has to be based on yourself. And for example, in my case, my decision where I have to make. So it's just about dictating uh, pace and what we need in that situation. If we need to calm things down, if it's 80th minute and then we just got off of a, a bad transition and we need to calm the game down, I need to take it upon myself to make that decision on behalf of the team and to slow things down. If there's not enough energy, then... I need to accelerate the game, but ultimately I'm the one making those, those decisions. See, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because last week when we had a, an episode on possession, on possession, you know, um, Kaylin Sheridan from sky blue and, and Canadian national team, you know, she brought up the fact is like, as a coach, you need to have that trust in your goalkeeper. And if that goalkeeper is turning to the sidelines, looking for direction, they're going to be, they're, they're going to, they're going to be lost because now you don't have someone problem solving on your own Omar. And I know that's something you've been trying to build in goalkeepers so much this summer is don't look for me for the answers, figure it out yourself. Yeah. I think it's just been such a, it's been such a longstanding thing. And as a young coach as well, I was always trying to prove myself and, and show the young, the young goalkeepers that I obviously knew what I was talking about. I'm knowledgeable about the position but I think that's a hindrance to them. It's not allowing them to think freely and think for themselves. And even when I break down film, my goalkeepers, I'll obviously break it down or excuse me, I'll break down the clips, send it to them. And I say, Hey, tell me what you saw. So at the very least now they're getting that not force fed, but they get the opportunity to look at something and they, they're giving me their response. And I think like you told me, Mike, it's just about those repetitions. And as it's our, uh, it's our job as coaches to, uh, to give that forum and allow that platform for our young goalkeepers 
to get those mental reps. And like CJ was saying about his dad saying the mental recordings and keep, you know, stored in the back of your head, you're never going to get those mental reps until, until you watch your own film or you watch someone else's film. And unfortunately I'm t- my goal. Dude, my, I, oh, you, now you're frozen up. My goal now is there, to create. Okay. <laughs> but, no, but my goal is to show them the value of how important that is. And once that value is seen, I'm hoping to God that these kids do it for themselves. And then from there, pass it on to uh, young goalkeepers that, you know, they, they end up training with or they mentor in the future as coaches. Yeah. How, how much easier is it for you, CJ, as a, as a goalkeeper to play confidently when you have the freedom and you're not feeling like you're being micromanaged by the coach? It, may, it makes things a lot easier because it gives me the freedom to make mistakes, and I know that's going to happen. Um, I've actually been told by, by, the, by the coach, and he was just like, yeah, this is the way I want to play. If you make a mistake, that's on me. I have, to, I have to explain that to my superiors, and I have to explain that to the media because this is the way that I want to play. And if you make a mistake, that's on me because I'm the coach, and this is how I want you, and that's how I'm encouraging you to play. So that's all – if, if the coach is encouraging me to make mistakes, then that gives me the confidence to play that he wants to play. And that shows me that he trusts me and my ability to play the way that he wants to play. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you, you brought up a good point. And willing, as long as the coach, and the, the fact is that the coach is not deflecting it onto you. And I think mm. that's, I think, something that a lot of times people in the media lose out and our Monday morning quarterbacks and all that lose out is that they go like, Oh, I can't believe so-and-so did this. I mean, we talked about that, Omar, um, with the Courtois play, right? Yeah. In regards to, in regards to what, what, was the, what was Zidane asking of him right there? And because of that, he felt that he had to stick to that play. Um, but also, CJ, you have to be able to improvise, right? Like, if it's, not, if it's not there, like, you have to be able to be willing to go against the programming, and your coach won't be upset with you, right, if it's not there, right? I mean, as long as you're consistent and you make good decisions based on the game, because ultimately I'm the one making, making the actions. He's not the one uh, doing the actual actions. So it's, it's all up to me. He can, he's encouraging what he wants to encourage, but ultimately it's me that, that's the one playing. And as long as I keep the ball out of the, out of the back of the net and, you know, get, it's all about the clean sheet. So as long as I keep a good clean sheet, that's all that matters. Yeah, those clean sheets, man. I, uh, really I, I, haven't had, I haven't had a lot of those in a while. <laughs> How about you, Omar? No, it's been a while, man. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, you had, did you have a clean sheet in Armenia last year? I did, yeah. No, I had a few, but it's, just, it's been a year already. It's crazy. Man, has it been a, has it been a year, man? Time is this year. <laughs> COVID this year, has just dude. been accelerating everything. Oh, I man. know. Are, are you guys, uh, wow. are you guys when, do you, when do you guys start up the season? I know the second division uh, starts, starts up on September 12th or September 13th, that weekend around those days. And okay. I think the under-23 league starts around the, that same weekend as well. Wow. What, what, what division is the under-23 league in? Uh, it's its own it's its own. Oh, entity. it's its own it's thing. Its own oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, okay. the, the, B team, the B team is the one that plays in the second division. Oh, gotcha. Man, okay. So you got, so you got 19s, 23s. B team and then first team is the way it goes. Yeah, right so okay. and three to four goalkeepers on each level, so really competitive. Man, dude, it's, that it's is to the point where the guy in, on the team above you can take your spot, and the team under you can take your spot. 
So you always gotta, you always gotta be on point. Dude. But honestly, I mean, I can't think of, I mean, dude, you're like a goalkeeper camp for a year. I mean, it's a goalkeeper factory, you know, as, as Omar and I have always, always talked about, man. It's like, when I, I remember when we first heard that, you know, uh, you know, of you going over there and everything like that, I was like, man, a young goalkeeper, I can't think of a better, better place to go. And, and just, you know, just in regards to just like this conversation we've had right now, I know, obviously, you know, you've been a student of the game prior to that and everything like that, but like, you know, somebody like yourself really flourishes in an environment like that. So, um, it, it's really awesome to see, um, before we, before we head out right here, CJ, and, and thanks for taking over an hour of your time. Cause I know it's, it's late there and, and everything and you've got training and you know, you got 17,000 goalkeepers to compete against. Um, <laughs> what advice do you give to, uh, young goalkeepers that are kind of learning how to, you know, play a high line and, and, and be comfortable up there and, and defend that area properly? You know, like if you were 11 or 12 years old right now and, and, and you were, and you were just uh, learning how to play like that, what would you say to yourself? Um, I would just say, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to, um, to mess up a play. Don't be afraid to play a bit higher. Don't be afraid to be more aggressive because the more mistakes you make, the more you learn and the more comfortable you'll be in the long term. Right now, in this current moment, you may not be where you want to be, but the more that you learn and the more that you do and the more space, the more space that you occupy outside of your comfort zone, then the better off you'll be. And uh, I actually said this um, last week uh, on a podcast that I did last week um, with Maddie Nips. Um, I said, said by uh, Minule, a few years ago, he was still on Liverpool. He said that football has a way of giving back to players and giving back to goalkeepers. So you get what you, you get what you give. If you put in the work, if you, if you're really dedicated to your craft, if you're really passionate on what you do, if you put in extra work, if you really study the game on the field, off the field, if you study your competition, if you study the people below you, if you study the people above you, if you, the top of the top, the Courtois, the Oblox of the world, the Edersons, if you study them and you're really passionate about your craft, then football will give back um, in spades and you'll just take that, that, more, that many more steps forward. Yeah, I'm glad you included that. Uh, that was a that was a quote from Mignolet before Omar started writing that down and putting like on his like <laughs> channel the next day, like CJ Dos Santos. And you're like, oh no, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I don't want anyone to think that I'm stealing stuff from Mignolet right there. Oh my gosh! All of a sudden, you get like this like message from like communications at like Club Bruges and everything like that. Yeah, it's like his lawyer just comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, we're gonna have to find you. Oh man. Um. Well, uh, Omar, anything you want to add to that before we start wrapping up? Uh, no, I think, again, from the coach's perspective, again, I think we need to do a better job of just, just like CJ just said, allowing the goalkeepers to make those mistakes and creating a, a safe space with our goalkeeping units to maybe have those conversations to say, hey, like, you know, CJ, what, what is it about your coach that maybe is hindering you or not allowing you to play freely and, you know, play like that super keeper, you know, read the, read the game that we, like we want you to. It's like, well, the coach doesn't want me to, you know, give up the goal or he doesn't want me to uh, leave the goal vulnerable or, you know, he doesn't like me playing that aggressive. And then that's when you have a conversation like, hey, look, you know what? Give me your coach's number. I just want to call him real quick. And, you know, what I'm saying like I think us as coaches, we have way more. We can do more to help our young goalkeepers gain that confidence and to create that environment for them to uh, we know where the game's going. Right. So create that environment to allow them to 
uh, become that sweeper keeper or be better with their feet or to read, you know, the, the flight patterns or, or style of play of other teams. I think if we can do that for our goalkeepers, it's going to give them an opportunity to, uh, you know, blame other people other than themselves for the mistakes they make. You know what I mean? I think that's the best part is that, you know, Hey, coach told me that I could do it. It's like, okay, good. But then obviously you get better with more mistakes. And one thing I want to bring up right here, you know, before we wrap up right here is for any young goalkeepers out there is like what we did right now, just breaking down game film with more than just yourself. A lot of times it puts different eyes on it and people will see things in a different perspective, different point of view, or they might see something that you didn't see because you're so invested in the play because you have a personal connection to it. Right. So, so, you know, I think, I think it's really valuable that you get multiple eyes on different scenarios so that you, you, you really can, can really pick and you know pick and see you know oh you know what maybe I'm being too hard on myself right here you know maybe I really actually need to focus on this right here um, I just know personally for me that 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 always helps me out um, because I get very and Omar I know you're the same way and CJ it seems like you're the same way too where you're you're very personally invested and you and you're very critical of yourself which is good but but I think we need to have perspective too right yeah I have a bad habit of keeping too high of a standard and being somewhat of a perfectionist in my craft. And that's not necessarily a good thing. And the past year, especially this year and last year as well, I was finding myself um, having some negative thoughts about, you know, not doing things as well as I should be. So there was just a point where I just had to take a step back and like, you know, just be patient with yourself and, um, you're going to make mistakes. And there was a point where I would concede a goal and I would just get the ball back and then I was like, all right, I just need to do this, this, and this. And then I would just, I would forget about it right away instead of just analyzing every little thing and, you know, getting pissed off and kicking the floor, punching the post, whatever I used to do. Um, and now it's just positive mentality and just being really, really not nonchalant about it, but giving myself more patience and, uh, the benefit of the doubt and just to let things go and just to keep pushing forward, basically. Yeah. Don't, don't punch the post, dude. You'll end up with my, your hands like this, dude. All these, <laughs> oh, all these I already, scars I already right have. Here. Look at this finger. That's a solid one, dude. That's a solid one, dude. I got this one right here. Oh, oh, my it looks God. like I'm giving you the finger. I didn't mean to do uh, that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to show. Um, all right, guys. Uh, remember, guys, contacted inside the 18. That's the number 18media.com if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion. Um, CJ, before we go, we got to talk to you about uh, CJ Dos Santos Photography. We got to give you a little plug right here. So uh, if anybody's interested in your photography work uh, or if they want to reach out to you directly, where's the best place to do that? Uh, so, I mean, you could, I'm just going to shout out my regular page and my photography page. Why not? Um, so my regular is where you, where I'm mostly on is CJ underscore Santos one. And my photography page, which was kind of more of a hobby because I really enjoy photography ever since I was young. And, and I got a camera, la not this past um, Christmas, but the one before. And I just really enjoy it. And it's really good therapy for myself and kind of disconnect from football and it, I just really enjoy it so it's uh at cj underscore dos santos underscore photography it's more of a hobby type thing and just you know just to have fun do some street photography do some Dude, portraits I, and whatnot 
but dude, you know what? You might be able to, there might be some, some young kids out there, you know, who might want to connect with you with that because like they've, they've thought like, oh, I got to focus on football. I got to focus on football. And then they see someone like yourself who's like got outside interest and they go like, oh, being a well-rounded human being is what's, what's going to get you to that level because like oh, you that's, can't. That's the, yeah. that's the most important thing. So yeah. my parents have always, especially my dad, my dad has always given me the confidence to like, if you don't want to play football anymore, I'm going to be proud of you no matter what. If you don't want to do this one day, I'll send an email to whoever I need to send an email to, and then we'll get you back on the next flight. It's okay. Um, and we'll just have to find you something else. We'll just have to find another passion. Um, and it's just about finding something you're really interested in and just practicing on that. So I'm passionate about photography. Granted, I, I need to do more, but having the whole country shut down uh, isn't really good for street photography. So I've been kind of slacking on that aspect. Um, I'm also passionate about movies and uh, I like analyzing movies. I love writing as well. I love writing poetry. I went through a phase where I was writing a, a mini screenplay and a little script for a couple of different ideas on some short stories, a um, couple of wow. ideas. So it's just about finding ugh, quarantine has made me passionate in many different things. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just about not being um, one dimensional and just being one part of you. It, it's, it's always about, the different parts of you and you know everybody has their genius and for me it's not just football it's I've always prided myself about having being a intellectual type person you know both my parents are our teachers so they've always encouraged that um so it's just about being the best part of myself and not being one-dimensional and having different layers to to yourself and who you are and just finding your genius and being patient and really trying out what you really like yeah. Omar, if you want to, if you want to reach out to you and, and, and check out some of your poetry, where's, uh, where's the best place for people to do that? <laughs> no, I think I'm gonna leave out uh, the poetry and the uh, creative side to CJ. So <laughs> uh, guys at pro GK Academy underscore uh, Omar, do you want to just give a quick uh, plug on, on the, on the, the new system that's come starting up in a couple of weeks here? So some coaches might know. Yeah, no, I'm going to start a uh, uh, coaches like area coaches membership as well, where we just essentially all, all share our sessions um, where I think, you know, PDF form, a lot of us are running through weeks. So it's just an opportunity for us to create a community and an opportunity for all of us to share sessions, whether it's, you know, with one goalkeeper to four goalkeepers, five goalkeepers, six goalkeepers, small area, big area. I think a lot of us can benefit off that. And, um, yeah, I think that's where, uh, my heart is. And I think, you know, that, that's my poetry. Yeah. And if you're listening to the podcast, that is uh, coming out in a couple days. So, uh, that's why I wanted you to do that plug right there. Um, <laughs> at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social media platforms, guys. I'm back on the stand-up circuit, on the Zoom circuit right now, guys. If you want to know more about my comedy stuff, michaelmagidcomedy.com or at michaelmagid on all social media platforms. That's all the time on Inside the 18, and we are out. Later, guys. Yeah.